What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Between Two Heads. My name is Jameson Wellborn. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Addison Demora, and we are here today with our good friend, Ross Kaya Paul of Pacific Northwest Roots. Kaya, thank you so much for taking the time, bro. We really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've actually had the pleasure of chopping it up with you on more than one occasion, so I'm well prepared for this interview. And as always, I want to uh, start at the beginning. Not, not, not at what you're working on right now. You had an extremely unique childhood. You grew up in the Kitsap Peninsula of Washington with four brothers. Your dad was a high school dropout, military vet, and a, a, a extremely well-known game fowl breeder. Yeah, so, he was a cop fighter. <laughs> un unpack that. Like, what? Talk to us about what life was like as a child growing up there. Um, yeah, my dad was a throwback. So he was, he was a, uh, he was in the air force. All of his brothers had joined the service kind of um, like end of world war two Korean war. So my dad was born in 1937 actually. And um, <clears throat> so we, we grew up on in a house. In fact, I'm actually trying to buy my family estate right now. It's 14 acres and uh, the actual original house that my dad himself built. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just a different time and, and he was a throwback kind of guy and, you know, it was a house full of boys and, um, he just, he was, he was a hard dude. Um, it, you know, when he got older, he kind of softened up, but, um, you know, there was just, you know, I played football. I was a state champion. We were ranked nationally. And I remember being in a, in a football game in junior high and we're getting beat by the crosstown rival by a touchdown or whatever. And, uh, we come off the field and <clears throat> my dad grabs me. I mean, like you, you know, you, you get out there and you, you know, your team needs you, 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 you need to put this on your shoulders and they kicked the ball off uh, coming in back from halftime. And I, and I ran the touchdown back and we never looked back. And it was just, that's how we were raised. We were raised, you know, to put it on your back and, and, and bust your ass and work hard. And there was never an excuse. It was just not acceptable in our house. Um, so it was, it was, it was, it was you were, raised, you were raised real like I mean I remember in in the last interview we, you had you said that you didn't know what a hamburger was like till you were fifteen. I mean that that's something. Yeah, we ate we ate we ate wild game. My dad was a hunter. I mean you can see this you can see this bear right here. This is this is the biggest black bear ever taken out of the state of Washington. It's five hundred pounds. Um, <clears throat> my mom had a my mom just passed away at the beginning of the year. Um, patience, love you, and. Uh, She's got a she got a full cougar mount at the house. Uh, my brother carried her across the river, um, and and you know that was because you know, she had the tag and and uh, and she shot her own cougar and and they packed it out. And uh, you know, this was just this was just how we were raised. Um, it, it was it was part <clears throat> part of my dad's passion, but it was also just kind of like how they survived out here. There was a subculture of people that picked slough brush. Uh, slough brush is like this wild, uh, wild bush that, that grows up here and they you go pick them and they, they put them in like floral arrangements. Um, so a lot of the hippies and stuff out here, they would go pick slough brush um, and you could take it down to the, they called it the shed and, and you'd get your money that day. And then they go, you know, pick oysters off the beach or go salmon fishing. You know, it was like hunter gatherer shit, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, you know, um, I was in college, actually wrote a paper on it. And, and my professor was like, yo, <laughs> come meet me after class. I got to talk to you about this. You know, he was just blown away that people even lived like that still. And, and then, you know, a lot of people, Alaska is full of folks like that, yeah. you know. But, um, 
but this was this was part of my experience, you know, and then throw in the, the chicken fighting and and, you know, professional gambling and just different stuff. It was you yeah. got you got it. You got to expand on it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, learned, I learned to keep my mouth shut at a young age. You know, I was like, you're going to school now, Bradley. Uh, don't talk to the kids at school about what happens at home. You know, uh, we had 300, 400 uh, battle cocks in the yard at any given time. Battlecocks are the ones that you're you're raising to fight, um, and people would come over and buy them a hundred bucks a bird, and they you know buy ten, fifteen, and they take them. And the thing is, different factions would come and buy them, and then they'd take them to the fights, and they'd all go kill each other. Um, but if my dad showed up with his birds, that's where the money went. You know what I mean? He 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 had the deal, and we had you know movie theater seats up three sides, and uh, you know this I don't know how big it was, but it was it was a big barn um, on our property out there where we held. They called it the Aviators Club uh every club um and and it was it was chicken fighting you know um, once a month cars would come down the back driveway my older brothers were out there collecting money coming in it was the first time i ever smelled weed you know i was like oh, that, that doesn't smell like a cigarette you know what's that that's sweeter um and that was that was you know this was this was part of how my dad when he retired from the service that's how he kind of how he took care of us um and and i learned a lot of the hustle from him you know and I learned about breeding from him and I learned about what you can share and what you can't share. And, um, you know, when he got busted, I think it was 1982, 83, um, the ring got infiltrated by undercovers. They passed out marked bills and um, <clears throat> my dad was charged basically with like racketeering, professional gambling and uh, I don't know what they called the cockfighting charge. But um, essentially, he, you know, he kept his mouth shut and and. Uh, you know, he took, he took, took the, took the punishment, you know, and, uh, couldn't have, you know, he was a hunter, so he couldn't have guns for a while, which sucked, but uncle lived right up the street. So we just moved the guns up to uncle's house and it was all good. Um, but you know, that was, that was, that was a learning experience. I mean, it was, it was scary when the cops came in and raided the spot, you know, and then thought dad's in trouble. And it was like, you know, it was, it was this traumatic thing in our family. Um, but dad just went through it like, yeah, fuck it. This is just part of the game, you know? And, and, uh, you know, through that, he was rewarded for, you know, holding it down for the other people in the club. And, um, you know, he, he continued to sell his birds all over the world. And, um, you know, I got exposed to a lot of world culture, people from Guam, Saipan, Hawaii, Mexico. Um, they were flying out, having dinners, bringing, bringing stuff and, um, you know, trading things with my dad. And, um, and that was pretty cool. You know, that was, that was, uh, that was something very unique, I think, that I got to experience. Uh, I, I have an older brother that actually carries on the tradition. He was Cocker of the Year in 2006 in New Mexico. Um, okay. And then they, they banned it there. They made it a, a felony there. And he moved to Kentucky, which was kind of like the last spot in the States where they still let him uh, do the birding. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he ran it out there. He still got a film out there. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. My dad said it's it's a... Uh, it reminds me of, of other, you know, analogies, but, uh, you know, I'd say like, you know, once you get chicken shit under your finger, it's hard to get it out. You know, basically like once you get into this cockfighting thing and breeding thing, you know, you're hooked for life and cannabis is the same way. You know, it's weed is not addictive, but you know, growing it is, is habitual, <laughs> you know, like once you're into it and you're doing it, it, it just pulls you in and there's just layers that you uncover and um, the whole thing becomes, you know, just this, this whole thing, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what, that was, that, that's where I came from. Um, and that, that translates and you know, maybe people really understand, you know, what, 
what I'm about. My, my wife, when she met me, she was like, oh, you, you grow weed and you fight chicken. You're like my dad, you know, and um, it was in. <laughs> <laughs> a little Hawaiian. I learned to say her name in Hawaiian. And it was like, pow, pow, you know. <laughs> oh, so, what are you? <laughs> what, yeah. uh, I know you were a big athlete growing up. Um, <laughs> and, and I think it was actually an injury from sports that ultimately led you to, to really getting into cannabis. Do you want to talk a little bit about that experience and, and what happened there? Yeah, I was, I was a good kid, man. I, I really was. I didn't, I didn't mess around much at all. <clears throat> yeah, I've been stoned twice in high school, you know, recreationally. Um, and I was, I was a big time football player. I was a tailback and defensive corner. I played both ways and we were in one of the biggest um, high schools in the country. Um, the biggest West of the Mississippi at South Kitsap high school. We had almost 4,000 kids there. This is in the mid nineties and uh, incredible football program. <clears throat> and I had started playing when I was six. My older brothers had played, so like this was like, you know, my thing. And my junior year, I got I got knocked out in a football game. And I, I at halftime, I, I kind of threatened the trainer, begged him to let me back in, and he did. And I got knocked out again. Um, and and back then, we really didn't know, right? Like, I remember Junior Seau committing suicide, and people were like, "Man, what was up with him?" And he, it was it was head injuries, you know. But we didn't have that correlation. My mom knew. <clears throat> so after I had this head injury, my junior year. Um, they, they had me on, you know, I had encephalitis, my brain swelled for six months and um, they had me on, you know, high doses of Advil. And, and then once the brain swelling came down, I had all these other adverse effects, you know, I, I was depressed and I knew that I didn't need to be depressed. I had a great life. I was happy. Um, <clears throat> but it was just this uh, side effect from the traumatic brain injury. And so they had put me on Zoloft, Paxil, all these different um, antidepressant drugs. And, um, you know, just kind of fucked with me a bit. And so when I went off to college, I, I made it through my senior year. And um, when I went off to college, I, I, I sm started smoking herb kind <clears> of <throat> daily. And I got off of the psych meds. It, it, you know, the cannabis made me feel better. And so I didn't have to take any of the, which the other stuff wasn't really working. You know, they kept trying different things and ah, that doesn't work. This doesn't work. Um, but the herbs worked. And shortly after the herbs, um, I, I was into mushrooms and I, I didn't realize the connection now, but um, now we know, right? Like the mushrooms help to fix neurological issues in your brain. And it did, it, it fucking fixed me. Um, and I kind of owe my life to it. So um <clears throat> that was really uh, what led me down that path. Um, it, it wasn't just me getting baked for fun. You know, it was like I ran into it and it was it was healing right from the start, you know. And um, as my life progressed and I I learned, you know, I'd always listen to Bob Marley and and then this 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 medicine is helping me out you know i really it kind of just changed it shifted my my perspective of like what the herb really is and um and uh, you know it, it wasn't just like something like alcohol you know just to be base and, and party with you know like there was something else here deeper and um i've just been unraveling that ball of string um for the last 25 30 years and um it's pretty cool. It's, it's led me down this path and, and here I am. So that's incredible, man. I want to, I want to continue with the chronology. So, I mean, I, I believe you got into cannabis fairly quickly 
from when you were first experiencing it when you were off in college um, to when you, you know, started moving weight. And so I just want to learn a little bit about that and, you know, where you're, where you're, you know, how, how that progressed and what that looked like. Yeah. So it was, it was fall of, uh, fall of 95. So I had graduated high school in 95. So fall of 95, I'm up at, at Western Washington university and, um, it's like October, like we're maybe six weeks into school. I start smoking weed <clears throat> like daily and it's kind of fixing me. And then, and the neighbors are like, man, come over anytime. You're funny when you get baked. And, you know, I was funny for about two weeks and then I'm like, all right, dude, you, you got to buy your own weed. <laughs> your, your, your turn to buy the eighth, you know? So I'm like, all right. And, and I went, wait a minute, what's an eighth? Right? Like an eighth? An eighth of what? You know? And he said, well, an eighth of an ounce. I said, okay, well, how much is an eighth? 40 bucks. Okay. Well, how much is an ounce? 250. And I do the math. I'm like, why don't we just buy an ounce? And I said, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Buy an ounce. Buy an, you know, so I bought an ounce, you know, and then I'm sitting there, we're getting stoned. I'm like, well, they sell more than an ounce. Yeah. Yeah. You can get a quarter pound or you can get a pound. Well, how much is that? You know? And, um, the next week I got a, a government check. They gave me, you know, my, I had filed for uh, grants, um, for school. So here comes this $2,000 check. And at the time you could get a pound of Canadian weed pretty cheap, you know? So, uh, I, I called my cousin that was also up there and I'm like, Hey, you know, you know, anybody I can get, get some weed. And she was like, yeah, yeah. I got you. So I bought my first half pound and I broke it down. And like back then it was like, you break down the whole motherfucking thing. You know, I had, I had nine eighths per ounce, you know, and, and thing was a little heavy. So I had a little bit of head stash over here. And then I just, I hustled it. I started hustling at the dorms and, and everywhere I went, I had weed on me. And, um, pretty soon it was like, I couldn't even go to class cause I'm just fucking driving around, uh, Bellingham slang of weed, you know, and you show up at somebody's house, you got to sit down, you got to smoke a bowl with them, you sell them the thing and flip it out. You know, like it was, it was the whole thing. And, and I, I was like, I was hooked, you know, and then I found customers to buy more and it was pretty soon I'm, I'm buying big packs and, um, you know, the, the, the game expanded, you know, and, uh, it's really cool. There's actually some folks still in the game out here that, you know, my, my first hookup, we call him the chef. He's, he's part of an operation in Seattle still. There's, there's people that go back that far that are still in this motherfucker, which is really cool. Um, but that's, that's, that's really where it started was, was that, that $2,000 check they sent me, you know, after my neighbors told me I had to buy the next eighth. I'm like, well, how about I buy a bunch, you know, and I'll sell you guys eights. And, um, you know, and I it took, off, took off from there. I've heard you in other interviews say that you didn't realize how special what was happening in Bellingham was until you left and, and went to other places in the state and realized the access and, and the, the environment that was, that was, that existed in Bellingham, at least at that time. Can you like talk about, you know, what was making that area so special? Like, was it the, the pure geographic location in in relation to Canada or was there, were there more things going on there? <clears throat> so at this time, understand there was California weed was all going East. None of that shit came up to Oregon or Washington. We never saw California weed. There was so much pressure pre nine 11. Cause after nine 11, they shut that fucking border down. It was done. It was a wrap. All those motherfuckers moved over here in mass and started buying up neighbors. It was a whole different thing. Pre 9-11, though, there was so much pressure coming down from Canada. Marcus and his people were up there pushing so much weed down on us. Um, we never saw anything from California. 
having said that, and you could get good Canadian herbs. A lot of it was coming down via bikers. The, the Asian folks kind of took that over post 9-11. There was actually a little bit of a war going on up in Vancouver between uh, Vietnamese nationalists and, and, and Chinese nationals in Vancouver. There was a, actually a big war in the late 90s um, that I could talk about a little bit. But, but pre-9-11, there was a lot of pressure coming down. And the weed was good, but there was a lot of work. And so in, in Washington, in Oregon, um, you know, there, there was no, no outdoor growing. It was all indoor. Okay. And our, and our power, you know, it's, it's like pennies, right? Five cents a kilowatt, six cents a kilowatt. California is paying 25, 30 cents a kilowatt, right? So we we're crushing the whole world on indoor production at this time. Um, Vancouver in Canada is, is crushing. They're putting out massive amounts of actually indoor weed. That's what all that stuff coming down was massive amounts of big indoor grows. California was still pushing a lot of, a lot of sun grown, right? Um, but up, up in our area, it was and the market reflected that, right? So you were either getting the beast, the beasters, the work, right? The Canadian buds, or you were getting locals. And locals was all those people that were growing in their basements, all the indoor grows in Washington. And there was a lot. And in Bellingham at that time, it's a college town. So the demand is super high. And I mean, the Crips were commanding 4,000, 4,200 a fucking pound, man. You could make money. Like we were stealing lights off the shit off campus, just growing fucking anywhere we could because you could make killer fucking money, especially as a, you know, a 20-year-old fucking kid. You kidding me? I could pull down, you know, four fucking lights and make 20,000 fucking dollars in a couple months. Fuck out of here, right? So everybody was trying to grow <clears throat> and there was a lot of really good weed and the diversity of it was absolutely nuts. And I used to wonder like, man, I wonder if Seattle's got this. And Seattle had some good shit, but Bellingham, for whatever reason, to me, had just a more diverse palette of flavors and... um you know, again, I think that was because a lot of those people had connections with Canadians that were doing stuff. And that that Boris was that border was really porous at the time. Um, so there was a lot of exchange going on there. Right. Um, in the States, it, it quite, kind of wasn't so much like that. So I, I maybe that's kind of what it was. But it, it really was a special time, you know, and, and I would even see hash up there like in those days. You didn't see much hash. There was you know, no rosin. Forget rosin. Forget six star. All, all old world, all traditional hash. The first guy that introduced me to hash was a guy named Bubs, and um, you know, big, huge fucking temple balls, like like five pound temple balls, like this, you know, and then pressed bricks of fucking, you know, Afghan or uh, Amsterdam stamped shit, you know, that was really nice. Um, and it was like 15, 20 bucks a gram, you know. Um, but you bought it all when you when you seen it because you might not see it for fucking two more years, you know. Sick. When did you? I didn't want to go off on that tangent. I'm trying to keep it chronological. It's fine. When did when did you see that hash from Bubs? That was like 97, 97, 98. But Bubs was the first one to taught me how to like roll the joint with the crutch, you know. Um, and he called it the California crutch. I said, "Why do you call it the California crutch?" He said, "Because I learned it in the California penal system." <laughs> how how were you affected by? the gang wars that were so prevalent in Van uh, in British Columbia in, in the nineties that like, it's interesting that you, like, you know, you, you have knowledge of that. Like, was that something that dramatically affected the market 
below or was the supply always constant and steady from one side or another? So during that, during that stretch there in the late nineties, my supplies were actually coming from bikers. Um, and, and I had a couple different sources that were, that were working those deals. And, and some of my friends were actually like protecting the trails that some of these loads are being brought across on. Um, and so th that was more of my connection and, and that was a higher grade product. Okay. <clears throat> the stuff that was happening between the Chinese and the Vietnamese up there was, I wasn't seeing so much of that and playing with that. That came into play a little bit later. Right. Because what happens is they, they kind of won the deal up there. The Vietnamese, I guess, to my understanding, they kind of won that battle. And then they, they were running things for just a really short period of time before 9-11 happened. And at that point, a lot of those Vietnamese guys jumped the border and they came down to the United States. And like I was in Tacoma at the time and they bought up fucking whole neighborhoods in Hilltop. And, and like they said at the time, like every third or every fourth house in Hilltop was a grove house. And I think up in Canada, in Vancouver, it was it was literally like three out of four. Were yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. Bananas, yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> so when that happened, I, I immediately got introduced into that network. Um, I had friends in Tacoma that were, you know, gang affiliated, and um, they were pushing other things. And and they, you know, they said, you know, and I, they knew I was the weed guy. I didn't want anything to do with anything else, um, but I needed. I, I like weed connects put me in touch and they put me in touch with the dudes. And, um, and then a lot of the guys followed me. Right. So they were doing other things. And then they saw that I was pushing this herb and making just as much money as they were fucking with hard stuff. And so they're like, Oh, this is, this is interesting. Let's do what he's doing. Um, and then they kind of, they kind of followed behind me and that, that whole relationship with them really developed for me, like, um, uh, 1999, through 2004, 2005, that's when I was heavily involved with, with the Vietnamese guys, you know, and um, at first it was local stuff and, and we were pushing a lot of stuff locally. People were coming from other places and we just held it down locally and pushed it out. And then as those guys got established down here, it became, you know, um, what city do you want to go to? And, and they would have it on deck at warehouses in every fucking city. And I just had to fly in the clientele and they made it really easy. I could fly into a city, um, you know, and connect the links and boom and be out, you know? And I think a lot of what kept me safe and kept me alive was I was very, very careful about keeping those, those, the supplier and the customer completely fucking separate. The suppliers were always on me. Oh, we'll make it easy for you. You don't even have to go. Just tell us who it is and we'll go meet with them. I never gave not, not a single person what I give up because that's what kept me alive. If they could cut me out, I'd be dead. They, they'd kidnapped me before um, over some, just some bullshit, you know, and um, the guy actually got in big trouble for doing it. And I got his spot on in the, in the organization. They fired him or demoted him, I guess. Um, and I got his spot. Um, and it was really my choice whether he was breathing or not. I chose to take his spot instead of that other option. And, um, that was again that was just a different time man it was a different era for sure at what point let me ask at what point, like medical shit going on you know what i mean it was there was no medical cover this was yeah. this was straight up fucking street shit you know when did you see that afghani that you ended up ultimately modeling the coffee after like at what point did you first see that that afghani oh that was like 97 97 and, and 97 and, and the hookup was we called him the county boys my, my buddy uh I actually have found a postcard from them the other day. These two dudes were giants. And the one guy went to my high school 
and um, he was a little slow, you know, but a big, big dude, you know, he reminded me of, like baby Huey and um, they had went to Costa Rica on a vacation and they sent me postcards. It was hilarious postcards, but those guys had, had a, had the biker connect. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> they started showing up with this Afghani hash plant and literally we'd go over to the house and, and it was coming in, um, in, in metal ammo cases, right? You know, the little um, the metal boxes and it was just, they were just fucking packed with weed. Um, and you pull them out and there's these big cannon, big fucking cannon colas of this Afghani hash plant, man. It was so fucking good. And I made so much money. Like the guys would come up from, from Tacoma and Seattle, man. And I just crush them. You know what I mean? I was, I was putting a, a I was putting a thousand dollars on every pack and they were buying them five, 10 at a time and they couldn't get enough of it. Um, it was, it was really killer herb. And <clears throat> when that connection went away, I just thought I'd never see it again. You know, it's like the Northern lights that I had seen up there or the Pez, you know, some of this stuff, I've just, I've just never seen it again. Um, and I wouldn't know where to start to breed the Pez or, uh, and to recreate it. But I knew with this Afghani hash plant that, that if I had some Afghani shit that I could breed that together and maybe find it. And that's, that's kind of how the coffee came about. I, had sourced the alien OG, which had alien cushion in it, uh, or the alien technology, which is an Afghani and the alien, um, Kush. They both had the alien tech in it. Um, so, and I didn't really care much for either of the, the mom or the dad or the sister to the dad. Um, <clears throat> but I crossed them together, hoping that I would hit that recessive streak of genetics and find that in there. And, um, and I did. And here's the thing is I, I, I'd grown out, a hundred plants in that test room, right? But there was 10 different strains. There was only 10 of that particular cross. And they all look beautiful. I got great pictures of them. And as I cut them down, the smell wasn't there. The smell wasn't there. The last one I cut, as soon as I cut it, I could smell it. And I, it took me immediately back to, to the midnight. I was like, oh, shit. So that's it. You know, and I cut it down and I hung it. And when I got it hung and dried, I had set it in this, in this box and I remember waking up that morning and coming out of my bedroom and like the whole house just emanating this smell. And I was just fucking like in heaven. And I had originally, the original name for it was my happy affy. You know, I was like, this is my happy affy, my happy affy, you know. And, and I took it to the store and the dude's like, fuck, this smells like coffee. And I'm like, oh, that's even better. We're going with coffee. So uh, that's that's where it got its name. Um, can't remember the dude's name that had the, the rec store up there, but or the uh, dispensary, but he was like, man, it's, this is guy's coffee. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I like that. That's It works with Seattle. It, it works, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so the, the cave that, That's so cool. So I want to I wanna back up a little bit, and I want to know, when did you start growing? Like, when did, because because you were, you were, you were brokering things before you started cultivating. Like, who was it that introduced you to cultivation? <clears throat> so the guys that were getting me stoned, my neighbors, they actually had a Phototron. They had ordered a Phototron. <laughs> And uh, we were growing the Phototron in the closet. And I was like, fuck, that's cool. But I, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to buy a Phototron. So that's when we went and stole some lights from campus and, and just converted, like, you know, we took dressers apart and fucking made the dressers into, like, little homemade Phototrons. It didn't work great. Um, so that was in the fall of, of 95. The spring of 96, we got seeds and went and planted them up on Blanchard Hill, which is this biking hill, um, little mini mountain. We found a creek and did an outdoor crop and it, it was absolutely beautiful. And we cut it down and we stuffed it in burlap sacks and drove it home and hung it in the attic and ruined it. <laughs> like dried it to all fucking hell and just turned it to dust. Um, <clears throat> and at that point I was like, fuck it, I'm, I'm turned off to this now. Like I, we did all this work and, and got nothing out of it. So I just, at that point I was just hustling. 
Yeah. Um, and I probably didn't grow again until like uh, 2001. And, uh, you know, I was just, I've been moving weed for so long, you know, and, and you're pushing these $4,000 packs, $3,600 packs, and I'm taking, you know, 200, 300 off of each one, and I'm passing along 3,000, 3,500. I'm like, fuck, man, I'm, I need that money, right? And uh, my cousin introduced me to uh, a buddy of his, this cowboy, and uh, I, I started growing, and uh, like indoor. And so I think I did, I did my first indoor out at that cabin. I would say it was like 2002. Um, it was a hydroponic setup. <clears throat> my buddy let me, he was going to Hawaii and he let me use his little cabin. And uh, I had 5,600 watts in there and I did a five gallon deep water culture recirculating system. And he basically helped me set it up. And then, and then he went to Hawaii and I'm like on the phone with him, like, okay, what do I do next? And uh, <laughs> later he comes back and he walks in the room. He's like, what the fuck? And I thought I fucked it up, bro, but I had grown 12 pounds off of fucking 5,600 watts my first fucking go round. And this dude was beside himself like, holy shit, you know? And so we did the trim marathon. I got all the weed hanging. It's like six days in and reeking and I'm sitting on the couch. My fucking heart drops out my ass. And I'm thinking, fuck, dude. And I go answer the door and it's this little old lady and she's like, hi, I'm a real estate agent. You want to sell your house? And I was like, get the fuck out of here. You know, we got the weed down and, um, and sold it. And we went out to dinner, man. We had a $2,000 dinner, you know, like this cup was worth fucking the time it was 4,000 pounds. So, you, you know, it was worth almost 50 fucking grand, you know? Um, and after that I was hooked. I, I went and found another place to rent, bought some more lights, you know, and then it was, you know, I had, I think it, it kind of the piece that I, I had 12 or uh, 10, uh, three different houses, 12 lights in each house. Um, and I ran that all through the medical um, times. Do you remember what that first cultivar was? Yeah, Orange Crush. Orange Crush. Orange That's Crush. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then we called it the Orange Cop because you couldn't grow it too loud. You'd get caught if you were growing it. Um, and then my first my first like seed crop that we did was was much later. It was uh, 2000 and, 2009, 2010. Um I, I met Mel and, and he was like, bro, pollinate those plants. It'll take you five years to sell all the seeds, but your, your crop will be worth more and, and you'll be started on this seed thing. And, um, so talk me into it. Mel is Lemon Hoko, who's yeah. uh, an OG in the Washington cannabis space that you connected with on uh, a forum <laughs> called Pacific Green Northwest. Is that? Northwest, Northwest Green Thumb. Northwest Green Thumb. Okay. And, yeah. and, so, you know, talk to me about, was it when Mel came to you and, and pushed you to, to go, get into breeding, was it because he knew about your upbringing and your father or, you know, your connection to the plant or, or was he just pushing everyone to breed or how did that work? No, on the, on the forum, you know, again, I had, I, you know, definitely not in Kevin Jordry's like on his level, he's on his own level, but. I had a similar kind of path where I was moving a lot and seeing a lot and I had a lot of connections. Um, so back then I had, I had a lot of really dope cuts. I had some cool shit that nobody else had and I had access to it and I was bringing things into the state that, you know, I brought up cherry pie. I brought up chem foil. It was stuff that people hadn't seen up here. Um, and, and I beat him in a competition and uh, afterwards we went and met and smoked, you know, and just in that conversation, you know, he, he breeds dogs and I was telling him about my dad and he was like, you know, you got all these good fucking cuts. 
you should start reading. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And he was like, no, really, you should. In fact, I've got this fucking great alien Kush mail. Um, I want to share it with you. You can start your breeding project with this. And he gave me that first mail. And that, that uh, you know, that got me hooked. <laughs> was, it, was, was that first breeding project for you or was that intended to be a, a, you know, for others as well? Um, it was, it was for everybody. I mean, it was, I, I had, I had some huge fucking plants out on my deck and back then what I would do is I would, I would run like a simultaneous crop. So I would have my indoor in the garage and then I had an outdoor out on my deck and I had timed it perfectly for like three years in a row where I, I crop my indoor like September. And then instead of refilling it, I, I bring in the outdoor inside. And then I finished it in a month and I kind of hit it, get two hit real quick there. Right. Cause you couldn't finish your plants outdoors here because it rains. Um, and Mel seen him and he was like, man, you should, that's, that's all your good shit. Right. I'm like, yeah. He was like, man, you should, I got this plant here, you know, it's ready. You should pollinate it. And, and you'll actually, you know, triple your money, quadruple your money. It's gonna take you four or five years to get to it, but you know, you can start the building blocks. And so we did. And I mean, I had fucking, I had, you know, 10,000 fucking seeds, you know, and, but that allowed me of each, of each fucking strain, right. Mm -hmm. That allowed me to give a lot away, you know, man, I sent, I must've sent a thousand packs to Jamaica just on GP, you know, just to a friend here, take care of the people and, and just started giving stuff away. And, and I ran everything and tested it myself before I put it out. So I made all those crosses and then I did a, a, a full build out at my space, redesigned, took all the hydro shit out, switched over to organic soil because that was going to give me a more even representation of what these plants mm -hmm. wanted. Um, and I took every week and I journaled it and it was all on Northwest Green Thumb. Um, and I modeled that after Alien, who at the time had set the breeding world on fire with his alien crosses and the way that he documented everything like it was it was very methodical and 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 I did I was like man I'm gonna do the same thing right because back then you you'd buy you you grab a fucking the book and look and go oh the seed bank book it's got this one and I want that one and you buy it and it's not the same you know yeah. you had no fucking clue and and as I got into it I realized this whole fucking thing is wanky like what in the fuck are these guys doing this is all bullshit they're all bullshitting people. And it wasn't until Alien kind of showed him, like, this is how this fucking works. Look, these are all the varieties you're going to have. This is the different phenotypical expressions you're going to have. These are, you're going to get these, some of these and some of those. And these, you know, like the old seed game was not showing any of that shit. They weren't showing fucking all, nothing. A picture of the cornerstone, like cornerstone breeding, where they would like leave out, they would use whatever it was that they wanted you to see in the picture. And then cross that into like a G13 or something and then sell you those seeds. So now you couldn't even go back and recreate, you know, the real gem that they had, which is called Cornerstone. It's it's like a weird, it's like a Dutch fucking technique, man, which is crazy. But Yeah. Which, you know, and, and I just felt like we could do this better. You know, yeah. the plant, the plant deserves better. You know, like which, people, you can do all that shit for yourself. It's going to work. But yeah. at some point, are you doing this for your fucking self or your plant? You know, I, I, I got made felt ashamed. Uh, Dragonfly Earth Medicine lady Kelly, she made me feel ashamed of myself one time at this Living Soil Symposium. Not not like pointing it at me, but she was just talking about how we deal with the plant. And I really self-reflected in that moment. Thought, man, you fucking a. You know what am I doing? This isn't about me. This is about the thing that I'm working with and this this synergistic energy. And if I just keep taking and doing from me with it, that's not that's not going to lead me where we need to go. 
you know so change the change the thing be more honest about it let people know what what's coming down the pipe i, I try to educate people like if you're buying seeds know what know what the fuck you're buying a seed for don't buy a fucking auto flower to run inside you don't need to do that if you're looking for a superior mom and you're going to clone it down you don't need fucking fem seed you know like there's there's different things that you buy things for and i think that this this kind of knowledge was just shuttered and people didn't even talk about it you know and now yeah. it's out in the open and people are making better informed decisions and you can see the cannabis space is filling up with better varieties and the hash is getting better and the flowers getting freakier and it's all cool right like that's where it should be going so yeah 100% was um was the first breeding project that was prompted by Mel the inception of Pacific Northwest Roots or was Pacific Northwest Roots be prior to that no, I mean we we had branded um, we had branded our flowers. I saw a need for that at, at the at the beginning of uh, dispensaries and brick and mortars. Um, I, I saw I saw that coming right away, and so we 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 branded uh, 2010, uh, 2010 when when stores started opening up. Anything that went into the shops, I had a sticker on it, uh, and, and we were promoting that because that was like ten guys come in with the same fucking strain. You know, how do they know which one's different? And and I had them within a year. People would come in and, and they'd say, is that is that Roots? Blue Dream? No, I don't want it. I'll, I'll wait I'll wait for the, the Roots one, you know. And they actually called it Snoop Stream because I sold some to uh, Snoop Dogg. Uh, it's a whole, a whole fun story. But, um, what, yeah, you know. That, that was, how'd, you get, how'd you get connected with Snoop? Was it through, through a connection or was it a direct connection? Man, one of my street buddies from T-Town days called me up one night and he's like, oh, I'm down here in Portland and I'm going to go smoke Snoop Dogg out. And I'm like, no shit. He's like, yeah, man, he's, he's, his bus is parked out in front of the hotel. And I'm like, well, he's not going to smoke out. Like, yeah, man, I'm going to take him your shit. Dude called me back like an hour later, you know, and he's like, hey, they're coming up to Seattle and he needs more. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? So he had went outside, bum rushed the big bouncer guy, Tiny. Tiny's not tiny. Tiny's fucking enormous. Almost tiny, you know, and he's like, Tiny, I got to get this weed for Snoop, you know, and, and Tiny's like, I'm not fucking taking your weed on this. Snoop will fire me. Fuck out of here, you know, and my buddy is very persuasive. He's a street dude, you know, and he's like, listen, motherfucker, like, he's gonna be mad at you if you don't show him this weed. So the guy takes the weed on the bus. He says five minutes later, he comes back down. Yeah, yeah, Snoop, like, you got any more, you know? So when they left Portland, they came up to Seattle and, um, they had called his his road manager called and said, Hey man, we need we need a quarter pound of that weed. And I said, Cool. And I didn't have wheels at the time. And my daughter was just uh, you know, three months old. Uh, my old lady was working. So I called my neighbor, Doggo. I'm like, Doggo, let me borrow your car, bro. So Doggo comes over, lets me borrow his car with the baby seat in back, and I throw in the QP and I drive up to Soto in Seattle and uh meet this cat in the parking lot and selling the QP. And he gives me tickets for the show the next night, and I go home thinking, wow, that was fucking cool. Would have been nice if I got to meet Snoop. Um, and then my phone rings the next day at like at like 11 in the morning. Like, hey, man, uh, we need you to bring up another quarter pound. That shit's killer. You know, I'm like, fucking hey, all right. You know, so I, I got a babysitter that night, and my wife and I went up, and uh, she got pictures with Snoop. And, uh, yeah, we took him another quarter pound. And, I mean, $1,000 QP is a blue dream, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's awesome, man. Um, I want to ask you about so 2015. You're you're competing in a cup, and Steep Hill actually tests your material, and it comes back um, extremely high, and you win 
you win high, uh, strongest strain of the year for high times. Like how, how big was that for the roots brand and for you? And, 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 you know, I'd love to hear if Ad, Addy, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It was actually, I think it was actually 2014 mm-hmm. and it was, it was the last high times cup they had in Seattle and they moved it to Everett. And um, there was actually some weird stuff going on with that whole thing. Um, and, and we kind of got, we, we, the year before, Cali Connection had sponsored it, and us local guys were kind of pissed off that they had the High Times Cup in Seattle with these California guys running around acting like they own the place. Like I was, I was highly offended. I'm gonna be honest. Like I was ready to grab somebody off the street, you know. And and so we we were gonna do this party thing, and we thought we had the okay through uh, Exotic Mike was working with his, his connected High Times, and we set up this party, and then High Times was like, "Oh no, you can't do that," and um, threatened to sue us. And we're like, "Well, fuck you. We got a letter from your guys saying we can do it." So now what, motherfuckers? And they're like, oh, so sorry. Do you want to sponsor the event? And um, and they made us a stupid deal. It was super cheap. And so we got to sponsor the event. And that year, Mike entered in a whole bunch of flowers. Um, that was the first year that Cuban entered. He entered in under the Roots banner. Mel had called me and said, hey, this kid's got some good hash. He wants to enter. And he got like, it was a 1000 bucks if you weren't uh, on the deal. It was 500 So we could save him some money. We were all broke. So uh, Cuban entered under the Roots banner. Um, that was the Miami Hayes. Um, and I entered in the coffee flower and, uh, I ended up taking third place, um, for the coffee flower. And I actually submitted the wrong fucking sample jar. I had like the good jar and I had some of the smalls and I accidentally sent the smalls in. And I remember telling exotic Mike, like, man, I fucked up. I sent him the wrong fucking jar and I, I won anyway. So that was cool. But yeah, steep hill tested it and it was 31%. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, that was really cool at the time. And when they printed in the magazine, it said something else and I called them on it and they never fixed it. But, um, you know, I've had a lot of the BXs test and then they all come in at 30% plus. Yeah. It's very high in myrcene. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good plant. And I mean, that was, that was back when there were no, no 30% coming out like that, you know, like this whole remember, five percent is very new thing. Like, well, remember this though. Coffee's mom was Alien OG. Okay. Alien OG at the time had scored the highest test in California, 28%. Just, you know, six months before that. It was the number one. That's why I grabbed the cut when I went down to Berkeley. Yeah. It was a 28%. This is is all THCA, not Delta 9 THC. So that was the other thing is that, you know, still a a 31% is like 22% THC or something like that. It's like. It's very fucking high, which is really like the ceiling of where, if you think of it, 22%, I think, based on the laws of absolute is like the maximum that in Delta 9 THC that a flower can really be because you're, you're approaching on 25% of, of all the matter that you're looking at. it. So 25% of a gram would be pure THC. And, and that's where you're working back from. So 22% is like the max that the plant can produce. If it's going to produce terpenes, if it's going to produce other stuff, that's the max. I mean, if it doesn't produce any terpenes at all, then it could probably jump up a little more. But, like, I think they figured out that, like, 33% is the highest THC percentage. One-third of of it can be THCA uh, total because there's also going to be, like, other acidics like THC or CBG, uh, CBDA, all these other 
acidics that'll be there. So no, that's like the max, but that was still, I think that's still like the highest that I've ever seen is like 31, like pushing 32%. So like, and that was fire. It's stuff. It still is the hash that ha when I got to smoke the hash, I was like, oh. <laughs> it was so good. So well, you, you're going to be stoked because we put aside two ounces of that. That's, that's what we're bringing down for our hash entry. Good Lord. So was that like a polarizing uh, moment where you feel as though it was sort of a, a catalyst for, for your brand and, and awareness or, or not so much that, that, that 31%. Like I know there was a lot of, there seems like there were some issues with that competition and also getting the proper recognition. So, I mean, how does, how did that shake out for you? Um, for me, it was really cool. I, I think that it, it, it propelled me internally, you know, there, and there's actually been a couple times when I've really thought, you know, do I just keep doing this or what? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it seems like when I get to that point, ding, you know, the, they, most high hits that thing. Yeah, you're in here, dude. Come on, you're you're all right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm I'm dead dead serious. There's been some time people talk shit, man. You're you've been in it too long. You know, you're you're over the hill. You played out, whatever. You know, you fell off. I love that one. My my buddy uh, genetics told me I fell off, and, and I came back and I and I swept the High Times Dope Cup in 2018. You know, six months after he said it, and I, and I called him and I laughed at him, and, and we're buddies, so it's no hard feelings, but. You know, like uh, there's definitely been some times where it's like, man, I don't know. Um, and I don't I don't I don't know that that really propelled anything business wise. You know, um, I'm just I'm not I'm not the loudest. I get on it, some of these podcasts lately, but I'm not I'm not a hype beast. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just not me. You know, and if, if I was the hype beast that Burner was, we'd have already burnt the motherfucking world down with this movement, you know, but I don't think that that's what most high has uh planned for me you know yeah. i think i think most high wants a slow burn from ross kaya you know yes. I, I think he wants me to light it up nice and easy and keep this thing going um and then all the other little stars gonna pop up and burn out you know but this movement is what, what what's really you know the hardcore movement you know in 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 the sense of how you're cultivating and how you're partnering with people and, and everything that we are, we're doing um it's it's not that uh fancy thing you know and and maybe that has slowed down our progress or or whatever um but that's that's our path and, and we're okay with that you know 100 percent. so i want to we jump forward a bit but i i think it's it, it was the right way but i want to talk about hash and i know you've been involved in making you know temple balls for uh you know a long time but when did uh when did Fresh Frozen come into the picture? Or actually, let's take it back farther than that. Is when did you like enter the market with a hash with a with a with an extract, a solventless extract? And what was it? So I started making hash. I made my first batch of hash. <laughs> I went to Home Depot and I rented one of those fucking industrial paint mixers. And I had a 50-gallon drum, and I got up on top of a board across it filled with ice and weed, and I turned that fucker on. Bam! It just flew everything everywhere. Um, but, th like, the first indoor grow we had, we, we were throwing out the trim. Like, make no mistake about it. It was get everything the fuck out of the house and get rid of it. Um, and it wasn't till 
like I got turned on to hash um, like from Bubba, right? Like, oh man, this stuff smells good. And then um, Bubble Man was really like, oh, you can make this stuff, you know? And, and he was the first one putting out those kind of tools. And um, I want to say I washed my first batch of, of water hash like 2003-ish. Um, and and it was it was you know catch it in the in the bottom because you thought that was the best grade, and then I would put it out on a on a pan and we just dry it on top. I'd set it on top of my T5s, and I let it dry slow over like five day period, and it would become this really beautiful, you know, greasy, and you could kind of peel it up, and um, that was really like my my introduction to hash making, um, and I, I would say I did that for a year or two, and then BHO kind of came along. And I thought, oh, that, that looks pretty cool, right? So I, I got some tubes and I, I did try to blast some BHO. And I had a little mishap. Um, you know, they had this little plastic stopper you put in. And the pressure had built up. And when I released on the can of butane, it, it popped the thing and blew all the weed on my face and into the pan. And it scared me, you know, because I was like, man, that could have blown me all the shit. Um, I was doing it outside, so probably not. But, you know, at that point, I was just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm, I'm just going to stick with you know, making water hash. Um, and two years later, the stores didn't want water hash. You know, they, they were on a BHO cause it was dabbable. And that's when people like Nicotee and Matt Rise and, and these folks were really pushing to create, um, dabbable hash. Um, and that was a process that was a learned process and we all were making mistakes, but I was in communication with those guys and we were sharing tech and trying to figure out that process. Um, you know, the goat taught me about cool bots and, you know, we, we were just, you know, simulating all this stuff and, and now it's like, Oh, it always existed. No, it didn't. You know, like we, we had to figure this shit out. Um, and that was really driven by the, the desire to have dabbable hash, clean dabbable hash. Um, so I think we owe BHO a, a debt of gratitude because I will say that BHO was like the first dabbable thing, you know, and, and, and I, I, I remember, you know, first time I dabbed BHO, I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is that smell? I knew I was doing something wrong. You know, I knew this could not be fucking good for me. It crossed my fucking eyes. Like I was like, how the fuck am I going to get home? Like it, it fucked me up. Right. But once you realize, fuck, I can do this without that other shit, you know, now we're fucking off and running, you know, and um, and that was really kind of the impetus. And it, But, you, you know, you got to give them the credit for creating that kind of thing, you know, and and, and again, it takes it back to our, our primal ancestors, right? They heated up the thing and dropped the fucking resin on there and hot boxed the tent or whatever the fuck they were doing. And that's kind of what we're doing. But uh, getting back to that where it's, it's becoming an art form and, and, and you're getting it cleaner and you're finding out how to make your hash cleaner. Our, our recreational hash, it's scoring 10 points higher than everybody else's on the market. Why do you think that is? I got good strains. That might be a little bit, but process. our process, we don't have the contaminant because we're extra fucking careful. And if you, if that's what was driving us to create dabbable hash, just keep going on that path. And that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what was driving the whole thing. You were you were really on the forefront. Like it wasn't even the soil grown video that put you and and you know a lot of so many people set them on their journey. I mean, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with straight concentrates and and the clear scientist and you know the the early day R and D that you were 
you were doing with them? So straight concentrate guy was, this was like when, when flower rosin was first hitting, right? No, there's still hash, there's still BHO, but there was no rosin. Yeah. Hash rosin. And um, if there was, it wasn't like, it was even thought of as being like uh, something you could do to make money off of. It was like head stash shit because it cost you too much. And then these, these guys started pressing flowers. And um, and the straight guy is really, really smart about the way his mind works, you know. And he created these big presses and it was like waterfalls of hash, which is really crazy. And um, so I hit him up and I was like, dude, let's let's bring that press over here and let's go. And we cut down a 12 lighter and press that whole fucking room out. And I, I guarantee you I was the first one to cut down an entire indoor room like that and press it out. And at the time, flower rosin was 60 bucks a gram. And um, that room went from being a typically a you know, $20,000, $30,000 room to being a $60,000, $70,000 room like that. And we harvested it and got it done fucking fast. And it was, it was gone as soon as I had finished it. And um, actually How- took a how long did flower rosin stay prevalent in the Washington market before you saw that dip? So I sold that shit in like September and then I dipped out to Hawaii in October. Um, it was a big fat bag and I was stoked. I'm like, I'm getting out of here for the winter. And by the time I got back from Hawaii, like in December, the price had dropped from, from 60 bucks a gram down to 30. And, um, you know, cause everybody jumped on it. Yeah, And then it was like, like anything, right? The first people that are doing it and doing it right, it's fucking awesome. And then everybody that wants to run in and copycat it, they fuck it all up. It's fucking terrible and nobody wants it anymore because they've fucking, they've soiled the name. They fucking ruined it. You know, um, Blue Dream, right? It's a beautiful fucking plant. You grow it right, it's a killer. Everybody fucking grew it. Everybody grew it like shit. They pumped it all out in mass, and now nobody fucking wants it. So that's what happened to flower rosin. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, us guys that had made Six Star and were figuring out, like, fuck, we're going to squish this stuff? Awesome. You know? And um, and then, you know, that that's when I think the, the thing switched from flower rosin to hash rosin. Um, yeah. And it was commanding a price that allowed that to happen. Yeah. Right? If, if you were getting less than what you could get for flowers you know the the this this thing kind of did this like the flower market is just kind of going right and, and then the hash value is just doing this right and they kind of intersect and it's like okay now it's it's worth doing that um and that's you know we changed our whole production model yeah 100 so what do you remember the first wash of of fresh material that you did like was that a was that a something that was seared into your head You know what seared into my head is the first fucking um, the first time I tried to squish trim. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's fucking horrible. We had this beautiful crop. We'd separate the flowers. They trim it. I got this pile of trim, and I'm like, I'm not doing that BHO. So I have this kid. I pay this kid to squish five grams into these pouches, and he's got a fucking mountain of these little five gram pouches. And it's time to squish it, and he squishes it, bro. And this black oil comes out, and I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> It was just black as night. It was terrible. Um, I'm I'm trying to think fresh frozen though. I've gotten. I, I mean, let me ask you this: like as as compared, like I'm I'm focusing on the your transition from washing cured material into washing fresh frozen material, and I want to ask you 
I remember you mentioning a blueberry that you said, in your opinion, would would wash that you you remember washing better as a cured uh, lot than it washed as a fresh lot. Is that is that the only cultivar that that in your mind stands out as something that is better cured than fresh? No, I'm, I think there's plenty of them out there. I think I think solventless mindset would totally agree. You know, and I think people kind of get hung up with, oh, it's not a washer. Well, it, it could be a washer if you dry it, you know, um, different plants, different resins, different, you know, different situations, different scenarios. I was actually just on the phone this morning with uh, my guy, Do Work Be Mellow. He's got a farm over in eastern Washington. And um, we're going to dry down some stuff and, and do things differently because that's what the situation calls for. Um, and, and I think that's OK, you know. I, I think I think the whole fresh frozen thing, besides the terps, right? Like we wanted unstable resin, right? So once you dry the plant and cure it, now that it's 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 more stable, right? The resin's more stable. The hash is going to be more stable. More stable maybe means less melty, less volatile. We want it melty and gooey, and we want to play with the shit, right? And if you do a cured stuff, it it doesn't have that consistency and texture. Yeah. Layer on top of that, right? And maybe even more importantly. Um, the terp retention, right? So people really like that that fresh expression, right? Like, oh man, that that tastes just like it smelled when it was on the vine, which you can lose. Yeah. On the other hand, some cultivars get better when they dry. You know, some cultivars the, the expression that comes out of them once it's dried is 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 different. You know, and I may like that better. You know, some stuff might be a little bit green or a little bit weird when you first pop it, and then when it dries, it it settles into something really nice. So you. You can't make a hard, fast rule about it. You know, you, you got to be able to. And again, that's that's part of the art of being a hashishian is is knowing that and not just having this dogmatic approach to it. I, I freeze everything and I wash it or it's shit. Like, yeah, man. That's okay, cool. so speaking to the art, you're coming off a first and second place win at Melting of the Heads in the melt category for your uh, pink lemonade and your hammer hammer is – both of those entries were air dried. Um, you know, what are your experiences producing melt with a freeze dryer versus air drying it? I only use the freeze dryer if I can't get the hash to go through the sieve. I prefer it air dried. It, it represents visually better. Um, I think it, it, it retains all of the terps better. It's just a, it's just a different process. Um, not to knock freeze drying it because it makes a great product. And um, we freeze dry the strawberry yogurt. I can't get it to go through the seed. Um, but in, in my experience, I, I really find that the air dry just it, it, it's more visually appealing. People fucking freak out when you show them some air dried seed, man. They just it and it does. I freak out still to this day. I'm like, God damn, look at this fucking crazy. You know, like it, it it's nuts looking. Um, it's more stable too. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it really is, right? Because it's it's gone through some treatments, right? It's mm -hmm. it's broken down in these little things, and then it's got all these little environmental things going up and down a little bit. It's drying, and it's curing, and it's doing its thing, and, and so it's it's got a nice little protection to it. Um, and in fact, we don't press any rosin until the week before. I don't. The hash stays in the freezer, and then when I get orders, we press it to order, and then it goes out. Once you squeeze that stuff out, right, the clock is running. You got time, right? But as it's whole and in my freezer, it's good. It's good as gold. 
for years, years and years, you know, and it, and it's, and it's just going to get, you know, as long as you take care of it. Right. You know, and I'm running through it. So it's not like it's sitting in there for a long time, but um, that's when I've got it captured. That's when I sleep well at night is when I know I got the hash in the jar and it's in the freezer. Boys, we, we banked it. You know what I mean? Do you, do you see that as commonplace in the California market, Addison? Are makers um, practicing this practice or are you seeing more makers? Yeah. They are. They're holding their. Yeah. Their- it's, like, it's like the main. That's kind of like the main. Uh, one second. I mean, that's one of the best things about the whole business is that the material, the product actually can be, you can slow down, you know, the degradation process by just processing, you know, the fresh frozen into, you know, dried material to to melt. Loose resin. And then boom, put that in the freezer. That shit's good for like 10 years at least. Like, and then you could pull it out anytime make blends, do whatever you're doing. But I think that's a lot of guys do that. A lot of guys take advantage of that. And that's like one of the major advantages of it. That's especially in terms of production, you know, for any product edible, you know, now you're separating down to micron. It's like smarter. And there's not, I mean, there's not a lot that takes up some space. You know, we bring in, um, we get the racks and cookie sheets from Costco. Um, pre-cut parchments, lay them out put stuff in there, cover them up. You know what I mean? It's, there's not a lot to it. You, you, you have to have some environmental controls. It doesn't take a lot. Um, should I let out a little secret about environmental controls? Should I, should I drop some, some knowledge drop on it? Why wouldn't you? Make so here's the thing, right? You're trying, you're trying to keep, get the moisture out of the air, but it's also a cold environment, right? So you can't just use regular dehumidifiers in there. You need to get a desiccant dehumidifier they work better in the cold environments I, i've never seen anybody flaunt them on their things i've got them in my spot they smell a little funny in the beginning but there's a way to mitigate that um but that's going to help you dry down your hash better it, it it works in the cold environment better than a traditional um dehumidifier and how, how do you mitigate that smell um we pump the stuff out and then you know honestly just give it a little time once the thing runs for a couple weeks the smell's gone. You know, when I first hooked it up, I was like, oh, no, this ain't going to fucking work. I can't have that smell on my hash. And we just let the fucker run, and we didn't put anything in and let it run for a couple weeks, and pretty soon the smell's gone. Smoothed um, out. All right. It, 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 it really it, let it, it break in. Out, so we got the thing on the wall, and then that gets pumped right out into the uh, the hallway there. So it's not, it's not like, circulating in the room or anything. Because you, know, you could put a filter on it. The idea is that normal dehumidifiers aren't properly taking the moisture out of the air because it's so cold. It's harder for them to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And don't get me wrong. You could have them in there. You know, I've got one in there, but I also have the desiccant and the desiccant really helps me to get that down quicker and, um, and, and just manage it better. It just, it just gets, it, it gets it out of the air. Are you a, a proponent of fresh press? Like, are you putting out uh, offerings in fresh press or do you prefer to cure your material and then put it out as cold cure? Oh, I think 90% of what we do is fresh press. You want to cold cure it yourself, cold cure it yourself. Um, and, and again, we've actually introduced a new line of the, of the uh, whipped products that are cold cured and then we whip them and then we put that out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I personally like the fresh press better. And again, if I, if I give you something that's already been cured and whipped, you can't go backwards from that, right? But if I give you something that's fresh, you can work that forward as much as you want. You know, I, I just don't see the, really the need for it. I think fresh press is just superior. You know, and then maybe some cultivars benefit from a cold cure and a whip. But again, I think that's best done on small scale when you're in control of that. And, the, you know, kids love to fucking play with their hash, right? Like, let them do that on their own. Like, you don't want me playing with your hash and then giving it to you, right? Like, that's that's kind of weird, I think. You know, <laughs> I mixed it all up for you. And, and I think that, again, like, just like once you press it, you got a clock on it. So once you whip it, that fucking clock starts again now, right? Because you just... You did all that so that protective layer that was on there it's gone now right so everything's starting to dissipate that clock's running again you know so if you're if i got a big fucking jar i just whipped this whole fucking jar i hope you sold that whole fucking jar that week because if you've got that same jar in two weeks it's gonna smell like cedar it's gonna go to the base terps and you're losing all the fucking magic in it and it tastes like every fucking thing else and then you might as well go smoke bho because it sucks mm-hmm. we're seeing Donuts. A tremendous increase in the popularity of solventless vape carts. Is that something that you're exploring at all? Yeah, we got them out. I'm looking to see where it's one. Ah. We're putting them out. So, and so are you having, like, did you find that there was a lot of R&D to get to where you wanted the product to be? Or did you, you know, what are your experiences? Because I know a lot of people struggle to get, uh, a solventless vape cart to perform, especially in the latter part of the vape of the, the latter half of the cart. I definitely prefer the half gram to the gram. Uh, we do make a couple gram carts for specific stores that have asked for them, but I, I think half gram is a way to go for that particular reason. Um, a little bit of R and D, not a lot. I mean, I think most of the R and D went into which carts work the best, you know, which hardware works the best. Hardware. But as far as the process, I got friends. Yeah. I yeah. got I got I got friends at the top of the game and they showed me exactly how to do it right. So there was there was very little um, learning curve, you know. It was this is the process, do this and you'll be fine and, and we do that and we're we're, we're running it, you know. Um, it, you got to have the right tools, the right equipment. Yeah. Um, and you got to do, you know, like like when you turn on your oven don't just assume that the temperature that it says is what the temperature is inside. You know, just like in a grow room or whatever you're doing, you want to have multiple checks. Um, so like on our, our deal, we set it at 138 degrees because that's what it takes to get the internal temperature to 120. Um, it's not because we wanted it at 138 degrees, um, but that was just testing that particular unit. So no. knowing your equipment and your tools that you're using is going to help you dial in that process. A hundred percent. That's that's. Uh... That's great advice. So speaking of tools, you recently just grabbed a hashtag, um, the 65T model. What is your experience with, you know, a large commercial vessel compared to your previous methodology of, you know, just washing in in stainless steel vessels? Like how how has that been and, and what have your observations been? Um, so it, there was a little bit of a learning curve there. Um, and, and really understanding that the system has basically two kind of separate water systems on it that you can marry together and how that, that flow works. Once I figured that out, it became infinitely easier. Um, and Hashtech has been really great in their customer service and support. So they've, we've had to make some little modifications. 
um, with the paddle and stuff, and then they've been right there to help. So uh, big ups to Hashtech on that deal. That's that's yeah. really cool. Alex. Alex and those guys are cool, man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They like they want to win. They want everybody that's partnering with them to win, mm-hmm. and um, and and we're really stoked to be um, to be using the Hashtech machine. So production wise, yeah, we went from two people to one person in that lab washing um and we can do more material it's a little bit of a slower process um but quite frankly it's slowed down because we're, we're able to wash longer we're getting bigger yields it's 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 not like oh this this process is just a little slower it's like uh it's extending the life of the material and we're getting more pulls so it's taking us a little bit longer but you know we're doing you know, like 12,000 grams, I think, a wash, and we're doing two of those a day on heavy days, so 24,000 grams. <clears throat> you know, again, we're not we're not some big crazy operation. I got I got three, four people in my hash lab, uh, and that's it. So we're, we're running through a lot of material and being able to clear our, our greenhouses as they come down and, and keep room in the walk-in freezer. But um, it's it's a it's an easy machine to clean. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty stoked to have it less to have we got a big ass ice machine that thing it just eats honestly it it uses less ice than the the machines it it uses less ice than hand washing um because that that unit just it retains the cold i'm not having to pour ice in and pour ice in are you a fan of washing in the cubes or are you washing naked i've always been uh i always liked washing in the bags but and and we've done some washes in the bags in the big hashtag and it works um, but we've also just, you know, I kind of just said, you know, let, let's, let's dive in, let's do uh, a couple weeks worth of naked washes and see how we feel about it. And, um, we're finding that in this process, it, it, it works just the same. The quality hasn't dropped off at all. Um, so we've, we've actually kind of switched over to doing the naked washes now and I'm still excited. Interesting. That's very cool. I, uh, I, I did not think I was going to do that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, honestly, like I was, I was like anti. I'd be like, but Frenchie says, I'm like, yeah, but Frenchie, you never saw, Frenchie, right? Yeah. Like it was, that was kind of like the inside joke we had. But truth be told, it was just, you know, he was making something different. You could fully pull six star and naked washes. You just got to be gentle with it, you know. And the first time I went in there and used the machine, I wasn't very gentle with it, you know, not as gentle as I, I needed to be. And um, so you can really dial that thing down, and um, and it just does a great job. It really does nice and smooth. And, uh, we've, we've kind of dialed in the parameters because you can do that on the machine. You can, you can how long it spins and how hard it turns, and you can really kind of focus that. Um, and and washes a little different, so we're making a little bit of adjustments. But we've kind of found a sweet spot that we can repeat. Is there a ceiling with these commercial machines in your mind, or, or this specific machine, even just to, to the experience that you have, the quality that you would go for a hand wash if it was competition level or do you feel as though you know this machine or these machine these commercial machines can be dialed in to the point where you know they're producing competition level hash um i i will find out if i if i win this legends you'll know (laughs) but you know i mean honestly like the stuff that we won moth with it wasn't hand washed we didn't do anything special. That was literally like off the shelf shit that you can buy in the stores. I did yeah. nothing special. We did not treat that stuff in any kind of special way. In fact, it was literally like, what's in the freezer? What do we got to take? 
Um, and that's what I'm bringing down to Legends. What's what's left of the six star in the freezer? You know, um, coffee's the only we had enough of it. You know, and I got GMO, but I don't know that people want GMO right now. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, eh. But I, I could bring that down and probably slap people with it. You know, like I, I'm gonna bring some down to share with folks. I'll I'll say that. You know, um, I'm also gonna bring down some Hama Hama and some pink lemonade, six stars. Um, but you know, pink lemonade. So I, you know, I don't know, and I feel like I could, I could bring that down and enter it too. But let's do something different. I already did that one. You know what yeah. I mean? Let's let's try a different trick. You know, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then that's okay too. You know, I, How do you? For me, or it's it's more about fun and the experience. I don't need to be validated. I, I don't. Oh, yeah. Nobody no. needs to validate me. So I'm 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 experiencing it. Some people are like, I need this to make my bones, um, and I get that. You know. Um, but for me, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing for me. I want, I want those people to have their chance to make their bones against me. You know, like the champs got to get in the ring. Come take yeah. a shot with me. That way when you win, you can be like, man, I beat Kaya in that one. Like, Fuck yeah, you did do that. Yes, was yes, yes. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's have that exchange. You know, I don't want to be like, you know, no, nah, these are all my trophies and you never beat me. <laughs> I think it's important to have that, you know, gatherings and competitions. And I think that once what, what was once these, you know, high times comps uh, and and things that serve that purpose no longer serve that purpose for the culture. And I think we're seeing like this, you know, emergence of more events, but having this critical event like Legends to kind of set the stage and 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 be that that top event, I think is is really cool. And I just think, you know, the more competition, the more friendly competition that we can breed I, I think is it's is better and i think we do that through having more competition so I'm, and, I'm and honestly like and i had entered in chalice and some high times cups and i don't think that those people really honored the stuff that we entered i'm gonna be honest and and no no disrespect to dougie um i appreciate everything he's been doing but you know I, I, that's kind of when I stopped entering competitions. I had sent down a ha an ounce of coffee, beautiful fucking coffee. And my friend that caught the thing down in LA was like, bro, they, they're collecting them down here. They don't have a fucking freezer. Like everything's just melting out here. Like, and I was like, I was pissed. How are you going to have me send down all this fucking work? I, I go through this great length and then you're just going to fucking just let it spoil and then pass it around to your judges. Like that was really disrespectful. And I think that, you know, the moth, the legends, it's just a different, it's a different understanding. It's not some fucking guys, you know, like how many entries can we get? How many collection fees can we get? You know, and then, and well, I'm in here and, and, and whoop de whoop, like these are people that really actually understand the nuances of, of you know, if you're going to take this in, you got to keep it cold. We're going to have the right environments. But we're gonna, you know, like, listen, I want to fly down. Plane tickets are fucking cheap. I'm going to drive down because I don't want my hash to melt. Yep. I'm bringing that motherfucker cold. It's going to be perfect when it shows up. You know, goes, goes right into a freezer, you know, but uh, that's the extra step I'm going to take, you know, so I know that you guys would take that extra step and, and make sure that my entry is really cared for and, and such, you know, and uh, I think at Eagle Clash, when I went and dropped the stuff off, you know, Brandon was like, boom, we got the freezer right here, you know, it was like handing the thing and right into the deal. And, and that's, you gotta have people understand, that, right? Like, fuck man, you, you, you want to judge the model when she's all made up, not when her fucking makeup is melted off in the morning fuck she looks like a hound dog again you know come on what's cool about legends is that the judges are your peers right the judges are all the the makers and i think that's that's really what's so special well about i mean we we learned 
to, to have the freezer there and we learn to make sure that the judges are the makers from Ego Clash and Brandon and how the makers respond to that stuff. So that's, you know, definitely, you know, hats off and appreciate that from those guys from that side, from the judging side of things for sure. So, um, but no, it is, it's, it's just the makers. And then there's, uh, there's an even number of makers. So then we add five other judges, which are Debbie and uh, JP Toro, Lock Comedy. So there's, you know, some guys that are hash guys that are glass guys that are kind of good. That'll fill in the next five. So. Scott loves my hash, baby. Bring him down. Come on. <laughs> he's coming, man. He'll he'll be there. So he'll be there both days. And he's uh, they're doing the Mothership uh, GZ1 collab drop. Filthy. So that's like a big hash, uh, fun-ass fucking drop anyway. So I'm stoked to see what they do. Super dope. Well, we're going to be dropping. I'm going to bring down some fresh seeds. I got I got some new shit that has never been released. So we're going to be doing Fuck seed drops yes. at the event. Uh, I'm bringing down the Terp Trike so y'all can come check out the Terp Trike. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, I, I'm going to have hash on deck, you know, bubbles and melts. So, you know, come get I'm, I, I ordered up some swag. We'll have some fresh swag just for uh, awesome. just for the event. Like, I'm, you, you know what? I, I'm, I'm bringing it. Like, if I'm coming. And I know I'm, how you do. My whole, do. my whole shit's coming with me. You know, bringing uh, the heat. we're bringing the heat. I'm even going to bring now. I felt really bad for not bringing Tyler to, uh, to moth. Oh. Um, Tyler is my, my hash helper. He, he's mm -hmm. a, a young kid. He has cystic fibrosis and, um, he came to me two years ago. He actually came to our, our sovereign farming thing. And then afterwards was like, Hey, can you teach me to make hash? I'll, I'll I just want to learn for myself. And he came and he worked in my hash lab. And um, it was it was difficult for him, but man, he stayed in there and he worked for like two months. And I was just like, dude, you can I pay you? You want a job? You want to stay here? And he was like, yeah. And um, he's been in there. I taught him how to wash. I taught him how to squish. Um, you know, he's part of this process, and it's really really cool to have this kid in. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him down with me too. No, you know, yeah. just thank you to him and and to acknowledge to him, like you know, like I've been doing this a long time, and this kid just picked it up, put his whole heart into it. You know, and um, and he's really stoked to be part of the whole thing. And yeah, man, I helped make that hash. You know, yeah, and it's, like, it's just it's cool for him. You know, yep. It's just, no, that's, that's what you want at Legends too. I mean, those are the people that you want to see get exposed to that much hash and that many makers and that sort of environment too. So yeah, yeah, he'll be stoked. It's gonna be good. I'm bringing the beard of Kraken down with me. Um, he's gonna have some of his his seeds. His new releases, he's got a whole bunch of um, shishkaberry crosses, shishkaberry times GMO, okay. shishkaberry times pinkleberry, uh, times pink lemonade, uh, times hammer hammer. Like, we're crossing up all of our hashy shit. Okay. You know, we're probably not going to give you straight shit. Like, my dad would not give you his straight hat, straight claret. You know, you're not going to get that shit. Maybe somebody will. But uh, for the rest of you, you can you can scoop these up. And, and the, the little seed boxes uh, with cracking stuff, they're going to be like five, five packs for 100 bucks. Oh, you know, so okay. super affordable. I'll also bring down my nice wooden boxes, and we'll do a nice special deal for the legends on that one too. Nice. We'll have a really nice special, so everybody can take a, a nice box. Home. That's awesome. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> so, like, currently, you're working with the Hama Hama line, the coffee line, and then are you doing a straw? You're doing strawberry yogurt as well, and and working that line as well, or what? We're kind of just doing all kinds of shit. Um, the next stuff that we're really going to be working on is taking like F7 back to F1 or BX4 to F6. 
um, and doing some IBL breeding with coffee that um, I think is going to turn everything kind of on its head. And then we're also doing these fun um, one-off crossings with, with some of our, our unique hash elites, you know, and, and uh, getting those worked out. We did a, a Hammer Hammer drop, um, the Hammer Hammer F2 and all those crosses. I'll actually have a little bit of that left. Um, if you guys have not scooped the Kraken Kush, slap yourself and order some because it is, it's my favorite fucking hash. It's incredible. It throws down in the garden. Um, I'll have some of those with me. Um, I don't think we're really working that Hammer Hammer line any further right now, um, but maybe, maybe we'll pick that up um, in the spring. But right now, we're, we're like I said, we're, we're doing some of those uh, interbreedings with the coffee. Um, I've, I've done some partnerships with uh, with Gnome Automatics. And so he's doing an auto flower with the Hama Hama and with the coffee. So we'll have some of those things coming out. I'm trying to partner with, I'm not going to say who, but, um, you know, some fem breeders. So we can get a, a massive amount of coffee fems out there to people. I'm thinking mostly of like Morocco and those folks, because I would love to see a, a wave of coffee hash hit Europe. Um, That'd be dope. If anybody out there, you know, like I think I'm going to try to do it with in-house genetics because they've got a pretty solid uh, FEM program. But, you know, if I can make a million FEM coffee seeds and send um, send half of those or, or, you know, most of them over to Morocco. And um, I think that would be really dope to, to see that that wave, that wave hit Europe. <laughs> coffee, <laughs> coffee hash. Um, I would, I would, you know, to me, that's like full circle. Cool things. I've checked some things off the list, but that, that would be one, you know, and, and it seems every year I miss it. Like the last three years I've had people call. And, uh, the one year I, I happened to have like a thousand, um, coffee fems the first year I did it. And uh, a guy from Oklahoma bought them all and had, had a great successful season, sent me crazy pictures. And then we just never really did anything more. Um, but, uh, I think, I think that's something I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be pushing on in this off season here. I wanted to uh, to ask you about tissue culture, Kyle. You know, we're seeing a rise in, in a lot of people talking about it, discussing it, at home, offering at home classes. Like, is that something that you have had much experience with? So this is kind of cool. You guys familiar with uh, Mike Hydro? Mm -hmm. I don't think Mike so. Don't he, runs, he runs the program for Jungle Boys. Oh, he does yeah. All their TC. Yeah. He was actually up here in Washington working with uh, my friends over here at House of Cultivar. And uh, he came and picked up our pre-99 DJ Short Blueberry, and he picked up my coffee. And he went and TC'd him and brought him back to me free of charge. Um, wow. Just just to do it on GP because, like, the blueberry was a really fun one. And uh, we wanted to just check that out and see what it does and run them against the originals and see, you know, does the one that we put out in the sun to rejuvenate do something? Does this one, you know? It's, it's kind of cool to play with. Um, and they've got those stored now in their bank over at House of Cultivars, so we could pull them out anytime we wanted to. Um, I, I think it's really neat. Uh, I think it's cool technology. I think there's there's space in the breeding world where you can eliminate certain things and um, adds, you know, sky's the limit, really. You know, and um, I'm more traditional. You know, I like regular breeding. I like me making the selections based off of my my stuff you know but i think that there's also a space for science where they are you know determining pre you know they can look at genetic markers and do predeterminations and use that to scale down or or do like a pre-sift before you go into cultivation you know production of cultivation or, or field tests or whatever 
Um, I think that stuff is super exciting. I participated in some of the first testing for when they were testing like, you know, seedlings and finding out if it's boys or girls. Um, and, and a lot of that experience wasn't great for me, right? Cause they hadn't, the technology wasn't dialed in. You know? So I sent up samples and they said, oh, these half are damn, these are male. And they were all fucking wrong. You know, they got half of it right. You know, and I was like, ah, fuck that. You know, and then they, they pushed that science down the road and they figured it out. Um, and, and so I think that those, that's very helpful, especially when you can do home test kits. That was the other thing. The first one I did, it was like, I had to send them to Canada. By the time I got the fucking samples back, I already knew what they were. You know what I mean? But as this stuff progresses, it's going to become more prevalent and more accessible. Yep. Same yeah. thing with when they're talking about making, you know, we got a tissue culture lab. We're not going to take clones anymore. We're just going to do all these clones from tissue culture. I still have never fucking seen that. I don't know anybody who's done 10,000 fucking seedlings from a tissue culture and ran a big crop. And nobody's fucking done it. You guys have been talking about it like it was the fucking next thing since sliced bread for five fucking years. And nobody's ever done it. I don't know if it's possible. Maybe that was a pipe dream that they had. Yeah. Good idea. If it worked out, cool. You know, and, and maybe maybe it will get to that point where they can do it. Right now, and, and when they first started talking about it, I was like, I'm not fucking doing that. I'm not, I'm not going to throw out what works for this new idea I need to prove. Um, and I think that they're getting to that point and they're getting enough field tests and data where they're, and they're being able to adjust things and, and make it, you know, like a friendly kind of thing to do um, where you don't have to have scientists that you're paying huge money in a fucking 20, 50, 60, $100,000 fucking thing to make, you know, like, I don't need all that, man. Like I got a fucking yeah. problem under a T5 in the other room and I can take a thousand. I don't need, you know, like you got to make the shit line up. Right. Yeah. And there's been a lot of this uh, consultant madness where I've got an idea and I'm going to revolution. And it's like, man, all that thinking is nice. But if you can't make the fucking rubber meet the road, it's all theoretic. You know, and there was a lot of theoretical talk going on for a long time. And it like fucking dominated the discussion. You know, it was like fucking it was all this fucking, uh, you know, investment money and, and, and IP and technology. And it's like. None of this shit is in, in my world. None of this fucking makes any sense. None of you guys are, you know, like you have no fucking clue really. Like nobody's talking about bank. Nobody's talking about quality production. Nobody's talking about being able to put out consistent quality over time. Like none, none of these things are even in the fucking conversation. And you guys are over here sniffing your own farts, using this big language and thinking that you're all smart. And I get it. It's self-fulfilling to the ego and you got this attention. You know, I remember the, the moon guy with his TC stuff and, was going, and he took people's money and then fucking bolted. And it's like, there's just, I've just had enough of that, I guess, yeah. you know? So instead of like looking at things and going, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I'm looking at it and going, eh, sounds like that guy's trying to make some fucking money. Yeah. Come to me when you've got it dialed and you got it figured out and it makes sense to me as a farmer and it's not a risk to me. It's a benefit to me. Yeah. Because at this point, it's all fucking hyperbole. You know, it's just, it's fucking talk at this point. You know, like, show me, show me where the rubber meets the road. Show me how this actually translates, how this actually fucking works in the real world. And, and then we can go somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's the basis of truth. You smiling over there, like, you know the bullshit I'm talking about. Like, fuck, oh, man, yeah. my boy Ghost from Cush Family Farms, he just bought a farm across the street. These fucking guys bought every fucking toy known to man. Half the shit, you got to throw it out. It's fucking, it's, it's rubbish. But they had every fucking sales guy show up and they were going to do this and do that. And they got nowhere. You know, like you've got to have your feet on the ground. You've got to have, you know what I mean? You don't fight a fucking war on a computer in a simulation 
like real world is different, you know? And, and if you don't have that experience, hmm, man, you can really get, you can really get yourself hung up, you know, thinking that you've got something there when you, when you really haven't feel tested it. Um, I, I think there's a place for all that tech stuff. I just don't think that it's come of age yet. Yeah. And God bless the people that are pushing money into it and experimenting and taking those chances. Um, big ups because I think it has a chance to do some, some really cool stuff for the future of cannabis. But right now, I don't know that we've made it there. I want to, uh, I want to circle back a little bit to hash and talk about yields. Um, you know, as one of the more accomplished breeders in the space, where do you feel the plant maxes out for the yield uh, in, in solventless? Like, do you feel there's a, there's a threshold that at that point, the plant, you know, that it's not going anywhere past this, this marker here. We haven't, we haven't even been breeding for this type of thing long enough, I think, to um, put a cap on it yet. I think we're at the infancy and no disrespect to the people who have been breeding hash in foreign countries for a long fucking time, right? They've been advancing things on a different level. Some of those cultivars we use as the building blocks over here, but this is a different way of making hash that we're doing now. And um, to develop genetics and growing methodologies that are going to highlight that and capture the pinnacle, I think we have plenty of room to grow. Um, I, I think off the top too, like environmentally stuff with the lights that we're using, I've heard, you know, and we're, we're experimenting with LEDs and, and getting big yields in different head sizes. So I think there's a lot of potential room for growth and learning and pushing that envelope um, forward. Interesting. I know what, what, do you think, what do you think the, the, the greatest I, yielder is right now? Um, I, I can yeah. tell you. GMO, I mean, is is the resounding sort of bar that is set. And like, you know, most people are saying, you know, the plant can't go much beyond X or Y, but, you know, it gives me great pleasure to hear that, you know, your your opinion is otherwise. Like, I think that um, we are definitely in the infancy of actually targeted breeding for solventless. Um, but there's also like a how much physical, how many trichomes can the plant physically hold on itself and then release in the wash um, before it becomes like scientifically no longer a viable. Um, sure. And there's a lot of factors to that, right? For sure. For the sure. style of trichome, but also the morphology of the plant, right? Does this plant grow like a really dense thing that you can't get to? Is it, is it growing something that's a little more open? And then once you get that down, what kind of things are you doing in the garden to accentuate that? Are you are you giving it fucking gravity so it's and fucking it up? Or are you doing some tricks with your light to actually get it expand a little more, get a little more surface area? Um, again, there's, a, there's a, a couple different variables there that I think um, can come into play. Think about this too. For a long time, people were just breeding for smoking. And those varieties, my blueberries, the best smoke on the planet. It's only going to give you three or four percent hash, closer to three. Like it just does not want to hash. And we were breeding for smoking varieties for a long time, um, and now we're breeding for something else, right? And in that short period of time, I figured out on our farm we've got some 
Look at these tangy power crosses coming off. Man, they're seven to nine percent. You know, that's fucking big. A lot of a lot of the cultivars we run are five, six. But when you get like seven, eight, nine, that's a that's a fuck, that's a jump. You know, so we feel like, oh shit, we, we, what do we just unlock with those? The GMO, I, I talk to people, most people that are running GMO, they, they tell me 8%. I've got off our indoor GMO, 11.1%. The, the outdoor we just pulled from our primitive greenhouse, light up greenhouse, just fucking ran 9%. Um, so I don't know where these other guys' numbers are all the way, but, um, you know, that's that's where we're at. And those are yeah. huge fucking numbers. Do the math backwards on that GMO. That's over 4,000 a pound. Can you talk about your post-harvest SOPs? Because I think that that's really what sets you apart. Is, no, is you got to pay for that on the Patreon. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it is now. It's coming. Please help me figure out a Patreon thing. People are doing this. I want to do it. I want to share this stuff. I, I got cool stuff to share. Um, uh, no. Uh, so... Again, you, you have to be able to adjust on the fly, but our, our ideal deal, like when we're harvesting indoor and it's all like what it is, um, we are, we're big leafing prior to harvest, right? All the big leaves are coming off as best we can. And then when we harvest it, um, the guy's bucking the big plant, hanging it and breaking off branches and then handing them down the, the line. And then the first people are essentially bucking off anything that doesn't have sugar on it. That's gone. And, and they're not cutting any leaf material. You're not allowed to cut leaf until you have to cut the stem. Um, so they're popping the stems off. Then it goes down the further down the little assembly line. And the next people are actually bucking them off the stem um, at the base of the bud. And if there's a big bud, they can actually walk it right up the bud to make smaller pieces. Um, and they're dropping that right onto cookie sheets that are lined with a, a parchment paper. Once that cookie sheet is full and, and we're not piling it, it's one layer across. Then they put it on the on the on the rack. Once we get uh, twenty cookie sheets on a rack, the rack goes into the freezer, and and it's it's like flash freezing it essentially. Um, and we like to say twenty four hours is like the minimum minimum if if you are in that situation. But twenty four hours or forty eight hours is, is like optimal or longer. Um, after forty eight hours, we pull them off. We've got this kind of like funnel deal that we've built. Um, and then they go into turkey bags, a thousand grams at a time. And then we've got just racks and racks of stacked um, thousand gram turkey bags that are then put into the wash rotation. And we try to get them washed within a week or two. Um, and that process, it's a little painstaking. You know, there's been times where we've actually went through and stripped. Um, stripping it is okay too. If you're in a hurry, you got more material than you do manpower, it's okay, but it's going to bring your yields down a little bit. You're going to have a little more chlorophyll in your water. Um, I tell my guys, it's it's not one thing that you're going to do that's going to make your hash great. It's, it's literally the hundred things that you do in the process. And if you hit every single one, you're going to have the, the bombest shit on the deal. Every single time that you take a shortcut or can't make that, just start subtracting quality. You know, just like growing a crop, right? Fucking forgot a watering, take some money out. You you know take some yield out. You forgot to do that. You it, take some money out, right? So everything that you don't do, subtract. Everything that you do do, all that little extra effort, that's going to give you your optimal yield and your optimal quality. And in our system, it works. It, it's worth it to pay the guys a little bit extra. Um, again, you, you you heard me say some of the yields. Have you people? I'm beating them by percentage points, and I I credit that to the process have you 
compared that process when you remove the trade, the rack dry. So you're just going direct, you're doing everything but the rack dry and you're going directly into the turkey bag and then freezing and seeing what the yield difference is. Cause like, and truly finding out like where the big, where the big difference is. I, I no. Um, once, once we got the infrastructure to cut it on the cookie sheets, yeah, well, I don't want to go back. To the other <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you got to do it one way or the other. Yeah. You but know I, what I mean? Might as well do it the right way or, or the superior way, the way that's going to get you a little bit of a better product. I mean, listen, an example, and I'm going back Friday to grab the rest, but I, I drove over Eastern Washington. My buddy's got a huge farm over there. We gave him a shit ton of pink lemonade. Man, you should have seen this crop. It was fucking unreal. And his wife grew the whole thing herself. Um, and we just we chopped the plants. We ran them through a Christmas tree baler, bailed them up, stacked them, standing up in, in the cart, brought them home, undid them. Um, it's not optimal. It's not the best way to do it. But in that scenario, that's that's what we had to do. And it's going to turn out fine, you know. Um, but if you can do it the optimal way, do it that way. So that's, that's how we do it, you know. And you're going to get some damage on your trichomes right if you're just chopping it into a fucking bag on top of each other right like why do you think i'm doing it on a cookie sheet because flat and you're not getting buds piled on top of each other there's no weight there's no pressure again it's just a one small thing you know what i mean but all those small things add up right if, if it takes you if you're if you're harvesting in the dark versus you know in in the warm end of the day and then you're not freezing it like that like i'm doing it and you're putting it in a bag now you just got two strikes on you Right? Keep adding those things up, and at the end of the race, I'm going to beat you by that many steps. That's just how it is. You know, you might have saved a little bit of money, you know, but I can figure it out. And 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 honestly, it probably cost me money the first five six times that I had the trimmers do that because they were learning. Now they're fast as fuck, and and they've caught up. So now it doesn't really cost me anything, and I command top dollar. I'm at the top of the market in in. In Washington State, I get more money from my hash than anybody else, and it's not—it's not because of a fucking sticker. It's because of what's in the fucking jar. So, hundred percent, man. You and you've earned that. I mean, you've you've built that brand from as we we were at, talked about earlier, the very early days. Um, somebody in the chat had a great question: Have you played around at all with with processing fresh as opposed to frozen? Yes. And what is your experience? No, not good. Um, your your yields go way down, and and it's just a little too greasy. Uh, can fuck up your bags. Um, you want to freeze it. In in fact, my buddy down the road, Sage, was hit me back, and he's like, "Bro, can I just chop these in the thing and do the thing?" I'm like, "You can. You totally can do that, and and you'll get some hash. It it'll be fine. It'll be great. Uh, but again, it's just not not necessarily optimal. Um, you you want it fucking frozen." You know, because we're trying to get that thing brittle and get those motherfuckers to fall off. So, so I want to talk about uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about legalization in Washington State specifically. I know you were pretty. Um, you chose to be an activist and and step into the public light um, during that time. Like, what did you think that Washington did right versus what they did wrong during that time? Of, of, of like over that cycle of legalization that, that you've been in? I don't think they did much right at all. They came out and they lied to the people. 
They told people that the medical market was heavily flawed and contaminated with, with bad weed and that they were going to test all the weed coming onto the recreational market. They just implemented mandatory pesticide testing. They've already sold $2 billion worth of cannabis and cannabis products. And now they're going to give us testing. They let these huge fucking operations come in that had no business being in it. And they were able to survive because they didn't lose crops because they fucking poisoned them. And now that they've ran everybody else out of the fucking market and, and it's mostly the big fat dogs left, now they're going to test them. Complete horseshit. They've overtaxed it immense. I mean, 45% of every cannabis dollar goes to the state. It's fucking mad. That is fucking, that's absolute madness. And you know what? The people here in Washington state begged for it. Tax us as much as you want, as long as you validate us and you make us legit. And we were screaming, no, don't fucking do that. You regret it later. Because once they have their hands in your pocket, they're not fucking taking it out. Mm -hmm. understand that. There's never been a politician in the history of fucking politics that said, man, we collected too much tax money. We're going to lower your taxes next year. Or an industry that's been deregulated. That will satisfy their spending hunger. I want to show you something. See this? Files full of medical authorizations from people that I cared for. There's there's over 100 people in there. I became an activist for them because I knew old people that they weren't into weed. It wasn't a weed thing. They were sick and they needed fucking medicine. And I was able to provide that and help them. And these fuckers took it away from them. And we've really lost sight of that in all of this. And don't get me wrong. All of this is great. We need legends. We need competitions. We need commerce. We need all of that. But not at the cost of losing our soul. Not at the cost of losing the spirit of what this plant is and the gift that it is. Um, Y'all you know, see me wearing the colors today, right? took my babies to church this morning, right? Ganja is a sacrament. It's, it's, this, is a, 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 this is a holy gift, you know? And um, it's, not, it's not something for us to just pimp and monetize, you know? And it doesn't make you fucking cool, right? Like, if you're cool, you're cool, right? Like, do, do something with it that honors it and that honors yourself and your own existence, right? Because if we reduce this sacrament and we reduce ourselves to being agents of the state to create tax channels and blah, blah, fucking blah, then, then that's all we are, man. And, um, and fuck that. You know, we get, we get one fucking life. Let's do something with it that's meaningful for each other and powerful. And I don't mean to get all... But I'm going to get that way because because yeah, it's, it's fine, man. What the fuck else is there, you know? Well, you if see, you're like, not in, if you're not into that, put on that big fucking slap that big C on your back and run out there and and, you know, do some dumb shit, you know, like, uh, you know, like I, I need more meaning in my life. I, I don't know about you guys. For me, it's so crushing to have empty conversations. It's so crushing to have people just fucking lost, you know, like I, I want to wake people up. To, oh, yeah. to glory that, that this experience is and to fill it with awesomeness. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just trying to run through the next crop to get to the next hash to make the next dollar. Like, I'm, I'm soaking it all up, man. I'm taking my time with it because I love it. I'm in no rush. 
you know? So, um, I don't know. I just want to put that vibe out there. Reminder, sure. reminder, you know, that's, we carry our hearts with us everywhere we go and we got to be, you know, like that's, that's gotta go with, that's gotta, you gotta lead with that. You know? Every, every market that we've seen come online, whether it be California or Canada uh, or Oklahoma, the prerogative or stated prerogative of, has always been safety and, you know, for the patient and for met for access. Um, and, and that really hasn't been what has happened. And, and it always ends up being a, uh, an eventual race for large, well-capitalized companies to starve and push out small mom and pops at, at, at basically putting out products at losses or near losses to, to make that happen. And my question to you, Kai, is, you know, what are your thoughts on the next three years? Like, are you are you optimistic or do you feel that it's got to get a little bit worse before it gets better? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you like this. It's up to you. I'm talking to anybody who's watching this right now. It's up to you. We can continue down a road that is the same path that they put on our food where they kill the small farmer. This, this country used to be 85, 95% small farmers, right? Our food quality was great. Our health was great. They took it down this path of commoditization and corporatization and centralization. And look where it's led us. You have the same choice now with cannabis. You can either support those people with your dollars. And in five years, that's all you'll have is them serving you or you can support people like roots you can support people like that are that are doing this right that come from the same cloth as you that have the same intention as you you can support us with your dollars and i promise you i will reciprocate and and i will help to create a system that will feed us and take care of us in a different way and i think that the answer to your question jameson is it's our choice, and we absolutely have the power to determine our own destiny and which way we take this. But we have to put our fucking money where our mouth is, and we have to really take this shit seriously and, and start doing that. I'm not, I'm not a huge Burner fan, but if he's the guy that, that everybody got to coalesce around, then let's do that. You know, If it's not him, fuck, I, I, I'll step up now. Let's go. Let's go. Get behind me and, and we'll, or get next to me. And, and we'll walk this thing forward the way that it needs to be done. Um, but if you just leave it to chance, or if you think that your dollars don't matter when you're spending them, um, you're going to have a rude awakening. You're going to wake up in a, in a fucking, you know, you think that there's a sea of mids now. And look at our, look at our food, man. Like inner cities don't have access, right? We're getting fucking GMO shoved down our fucking throats. You know, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. I want to leave that for my kids. I want to leave them something else, you know, and I'll fucking fight you for it. So, no, that's, you got to stand up that way too. And otherwise nowadays it's like, if you don't, if you don't feel that way, then, you know, you're not going to be able to stand your ground and progress and shit just kind of gotten so much more fucking crazy. So yeah, just I, keep I, your own sanity. You know? I don't let it get on my head. I really, it's really easy to let it get on your head. You can, oh man, oh, glass house, the sky's falling. And 
nah, man, we're still here. Look at us. Look at us. You know what the most rare thing in the universe is? Human attention. You know? And, and in our movement, the attention's still on us. You know, they're trying to pull it away from the center, but the attention's still on, on, on real shit, right? Like people that care and people that are inside of this, this culture that we have, they still care. They still want to do things right. And, and we're still doing, you know, things to take care of our culture and to move it forward. That's why you guys put your time and effort into this event, right? Right. That, that, that's why you do Legends. 100%. That's 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 why that's why Addison has been doing all the work that he's been doing over the last couple of years trying to build this thing and he's got this fucking vision and and I want to support that. I, I I can't do everything myself. I need to look and see that guy's here with me. This guy's running with me, you know. I can see the other motherfuckers running with their bow and arrows behind us. I can see the other guys angling the corral us, right? But I'm looking at the motherfuckers to the right and left of me that got their hatchets out and and we're we're going we're going to cut through whatever the fuck comes at us. And eventually they're going to have to, to, to circle back and get behind us and just follow where we're going. You know, otherwise they're going to corral us up and, and we're stuck in their little fucking traffic. It's about, you know, it's about culture and, and putting on yeah. moving the culture forward, like doing, you know, what Addison's doing with legends with melting of the heads and all these other competitions, you know, like building community that, you know, I think is really massively underestimated by a lot of these accountants and, and research firms that are, uh, you know, judging where the market's going and, and what's being accessed. Like, I mean, I think that a lot of new consumers who are coming into the markets are skewing this data, but this, there's this large underground movement that's not really being accounted for in every market that cannabis is present, which is everywhere. So I think it's really going to be interesting over the next three years. And I, I think it, it is kind of dependent on growing the awareness of the community and then people learning through being exposed to the community. And it's really, you know, when you become part of something where you're learning about things by osmosis, just by wanting to be a part of that thing is when you can learn really quickly. And so I think having events and, and building this stuff is important. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what platforms do we have? Few. I mean, Hack Search is one of, is one of the biggest, Yeah. right? Uh, and we're like Instagram, but it's all spread out and it's not like a centralized thing, right? Like, Yo, <laughs> how many fucking national news specials have you seen on cannabis, right? And they all are like pharmaceutical, this, that, and the other thing, right? No, nobody's fucking, you've never seen a national one on culture. You're not seeing fucking Swamp Boys or Jungle Boys or Roots on fucking ABC. They're not, they're not going to shine a light on us. They know that if we get the spotlight, shit's going to change. You know, and I think eventually we're going to reach enough people. I, I mean, that to me, that's really what's holding us back. If people knew my story, if people knew about Roots, sky's the limit, right? Like, there's other people that don't want them, everything to be known about them, right? They got skeletons. They got dark shit. They're fucked up. They're beat dogs. They, you know, there's all kinds of weirdos in the fucking out here, right? Like, but if you get the right story out there, if you get the right narrative, you get the right things going like there's there's no limit to what we can do we can reshape so much you know and and i'd be happy just reshaping our own destiny and making sure that we can do this thing of ours our way but we can change so much more once we get that foothold we can maybe reverse some of the effects of the food system right taxation 
you know, ease some burdens, you know, do some good works with our with our power. But we really have not come to even, I think, conceive how we grasp the power or how we wield it. But in reality, we have this we have this great power coming to us, this great gift given to us. You know, um, think about those 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 rum runners at the era of prohibition and they came in and some of those guys with great stories that got to carry on and other ones got wiped out. Right. But they kind of lost maybe some of that, right. They were in that same kind of thing, but we've got this, this other kind of knowledge and understanding where, man, we can do this a little different. And um, I don't know. I, I just think that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity in this, in this changing thing as nat- national legalization rolls out and um, you know, we're looking at signing multi-state contracts now with people that are producing things. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how that shape is going to take form, but I, I know that we are we are definitely empowered and we'd be foolish to just kind of go, oh, yes, pick me up and help me along. And, you know, no, we need to really fucking like dig in and take the bull by the horns, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I will give Bernard credit for doing that. I mean, he's, he's taking the bull by the horns. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, we need more of that. So. What, do, what do you think, Addison? Like, do you think that, that, that um, there's a way that, that you can dollar spend out of this? Or do you feel that the coffers of like the, you know, just the capital of these large companies is, is just going to continue like squeezing, um, squeezing the craft players out? Look, I mean, I think if the craft players are producing a product that the market wants and they're marketing it correctly, then they're fine. And that's what it's always taken for any business. And, and you know, you have to understand that the reality is that the market itself is saturated with people who think they can do it the right way, or people who think that they've got what it takes. And that's the consolidation of that and the consolidation of that and the consolidation of that. It takes a lot of people that are good people out because they don't understand, you know, like, like uh, Kai was saying, is like the five, there's five different points that you have to hit to make really good hash. It's the, there's 20 things that you have to hit in business when it comes to making good hash, because you have to market, you have to produce, you have to scale, you have to distribute, you have to sell, you know, you have to be able to, someone has to understand business and forecast all these things and coordinate all the people moving. Like, there's a lot of things that have to be hit correctly in order to make it go. So the, the issue is, is that that problem doesn't give a fuck if you're old school, 20 fucking 50 years in it. And it doesn't care if you're a new money, that's a Chad that does whatever it's, you have to hit those 20. You have to know how to do those fucking things and you have to keep doing it every fucking day over and over and over and over again. And just because that's the measure, it takes someone who has even more to then stick up above that and be like, Oh, what's up? Well, I'm this now here's the brand new, yeah. you know, and that's what's beautiful about the market. Yeah. But it's a, but it's a soul crushing fucking thing to watch. You know, it's like, it's like watching the ocean, these massive waves crushing and fucking that's what it's like. And that's, and it's the reality is like, Hey, like, like you're saying, like you, you have to be, you have to persevere and you have to have this like, you know, fucking warrior spirit <laughs> to survive this type of shit, or you can optimize yourself as a human being 
so that now you have a much better system yourself to be able to figure this shit out and do things and then go from there and then, you know, use loving kindness as a guide to for every decision so that you're always considering everything possible and do all these things that then make it where like, you know, oh, well, I don't feel jealous anymore. I don't feel this way anymore. I don't feel this way because I have this mission. And that's just, and that's like what life is, is it's like learning how to just become a better person. And I think like, that's the same thing in business. Learn how to do business correctly and fucking hammer it. And, and don't, you know, you might, Hey man, you got to admit to yourself as a business owner that you might have too many fucking people working for you. So you got to cut the fat and you got to, there's decisions that have to be made that are hard decisions that mean the survival of your business, you know, and you learn that through the years. And like, that's one reason why, like I, in business, I stay very lean, you know, so that it's like, Nope, we're chopping wood and fucking carrying water together. This is business, you know, and, and, and then you get to the less of you, the less people there that's doing that work, Jameson, you know, that like the less people that are doing that work, the more food there is to split up. You and know, especially in the woolly mammoth, you know, especially in the early stages, you know, <laughs> like, well, you, if you were trying to bring people in, in the early stages of your business, before you've built something that can be recognized by a, a passerby, you're going to have to give away a lot, you know, and, and, right. and to get anything from anybody. And, and, then nine times out of 10, you're going to look back on it and wish you didn't because you're going to realize, oh, I could have, you know, I could have done that or there was a lot easier path and pathway to do that. Or if I would have waited six weeks and just put my nose down, then I would have given the half as much away. Um, so I think that, you know, understanding that and then there's a learning curve and a hard balance between, you know, people who are stewards of the plant and really connected to the plant and then people who have, uh, an understanding of, of business knowledge at a high level and and really if understanding your strengths and weaknesses and then finding the people that complement those is is probably the biggest key to sorting it out is knowing what you're good at do that know what you're bad at find somebody to do that don't do that that that's you know that's the experience that i've gotten is um things that don't click easily for me i'm not rushing to to try and learn to do yeah hey and and you know what shout out shout shout out yourself addison because you are actually doing like i think about this a lot like amateurs talk strategy and professionals talk tactics how how or logistics right like how are we going to get this done so it's it's all good and fine to say you know this would be the spirit and how we do things but how how does that how does that rubber meet that road right and and Addison with your pipeline program awesome. you're helping to build that infrastructure out you figured Deppy, out Deppy too you're That's... figured out this is something that is missing and we can figure this out right like I, I called you the other day because I had a friend great farmer great product and he's like hey can you get a hold of any makers down here and I thought I could call five but I'm gonna call my friend who's got this pipeline thing and you can just plug you into the program, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure we'll follow up um, offline on that, but tactical, you know, right? that's logistics. How do we make this thing logistically work? We're talking about working together. We're talking about, you know, using this, this great network, right. That, that is the other people don't have. Right. So how do we, how do we make that network work for us? And that's how you do it. You get somebody like Addison that has figured out, Hey, Here's how we can make these things fit. Here's where the, the market's lacking. And here's where these guys need help. And if you marry those two together, then everybody wins. 
and and that's that's the kind of um, that's the kind of shit you need. So I mean, the, the biggest component the biggest component is the is the hash selection breeder, really, and that and the whole pipeline because the whole market responds to brand new genetics and it responds to something it hasn't seen before more than anything else. And it can go heavy in that direction once it sees it. So, you know, the, the it's the breeders and the guys now that are using these progenitors and these strains that, that heavy produce that come from different places. It's that's really what, what, when you look at the entire pipeline and you look at what that is and how it solves the problem, it's it's a relationship between us and the breeder saying hey you have brand new genetics you want to put stuff out and get it more popularized you want to get it into the washrooms more quickly you can bring it into pipeline and do it that way it'll definitely lead to selling more seeds for sure um and it'll also get your it'll push the stuff to the to the forefront so hey if, if it's gonna wash and people are gonna like it they're gonna, it's gonna be there in production so that's kind of the, the you know how the whole thing works but the without the breeder understanding that and seeing that and there's quite a bit of them that have kind of been like oh, okay i fucking understand this like here you know because the selection still has to be done the propagation still has to be done all that stuff so it's still you know there's there's other a lot of other work that has to go in obviously after that point but the the ones that like taylor and the and the breeders that have gotten behind it they've like it makes such a big difference but for them you know the one breeder that got behind it the hardest is doing the best <laughs> You know he's killing it and, and it's like it shows that it's like hey he's willing to be like all right get my shit out there in, in a million different ways and it's a lot it's a lot of his hard work as well but it's definitely like it lives uh and eats and breeds because of the breeders are willing to do it and then all the rest of it are relationships that we put together to, to get that stuff out there but the outcome of it gives us as hash consumers a much better selection of hash to consume so it's you know it all kind of runs full circle um but yeah and then we we make our living in the in the hash business you know and in, the, in that part of the industry and we don't you know we're not producing hash we're actually able to work with more people that way and we can do more uh and then you know right now uh mothership and scott Deppy have you know partnered up with pipeline and now he's come on board as a, as a partner uh and an investor in the company so he's you know, we're going to do our marketing with mothership and and start doing a lot of that stuff and we're launching that whole thing at at uh legends of hash so yeah things are moving quickly in in that direction with that we just formed the whole um <clears throat> llc and the company and got everything off the ground officially so i want some stock optimizing while bringing heady glass closer you know into the public eye like it's not yeah. like hasn't been close, but I think the, you know, mothership coming and, and playing a, a big role in, in Pyramid Pipeline and is just a beautiful, beautiful marriage that has like very big cultural benefits beyond, you know, a sound business model. So I'm very excited that that's public information now. Yeah, uh, like it, it gives mothership an arm into the California market without having to be you know per se like a licensed cannabis entity or a hash brand or some other stuff they're 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 then able to have an investment in in a you know the the marketing uh sale and promotion of fresh frozen to two manufacturers that's curated through the whole entire system itself and it's 
you know, Scott saw that and was like, this is a great idea. Like this actually does make hash better and it feeds the market and it's smart. It's a, it's a smart way of doing business because, um, you know, we don't have to be licensed. We are sales, marketing and promotion. You know, we kind of kind of fit into this place with, with an understanding of the entire system and how it works. And then having the network to put it together is what I think like more of a, that's more of like a, a smart industry move. It's, it's, you know, we come from the core of the industry. We have these relationships. It benefits when you look at it laid out, it benefits every single component involved uh, and everybody gets to eat and do well off of uh, how the entire system works. So no, it's, you know, and then having mothership come out and say, Hey, you know, having Scott come and say, Hey, this is a great, you know, great looking system. I love how it works. I want to be a part of it, you know, be a part of it. And he and I being friends, I'm like, all right, well, here's how it works. And, and then he came back and said, all right, well, let's figure something out. So we have, which is good. So we'll be launching it publicly at legends. Um, but we've already kind of locked everything in, which is great. So Badass. Badass. I love it. Yeah. We'll do all the marketing, which is cool. Like all the, uh, <clears throat> Like every, I think what we're going to do is like, uh, and I, we still got to confirm some stuff, but we've already gotten like pretty good confirmation. And I think they'll do, when they do the mothership uh, marketing, they'll like keep one of the pieces not, won't be featured in the marketing. And then that piece will be what's going to be then given away in pipeline. So like every, oh, I know, every single, uh, I think like every quarter will give away isn't isn't our podcast sponsored by Mothership? <laughs> I feel like our podcast might be have been from. I think the- it is. I think I I think I've discussed it with him, and he's like, "Yeah, let's do something." I got I got it. We got to officially do that. Because here's the thing: I'll, I'll say this officially, Jameson. You and I have talked about this. Like, I don't think having a paywall like Patreon is really the best way to to service people with information, whether it's an interview or anything else. I think the best way to to generate revenue is to get sponsors that are willing to, to, you know, put their brand on your platform, which is wherever you're doing your, your show, your podcast, and you're attracting people to it. I think that's a much better way of doing it because, you know, you're not hiding behind this paywall. And, and that just, I feel like when you do that, it's harder to market your product. You know, it's, it's a much tougher uh, to do that. And I, and I think that you're excluding a bunch of people from it. Um, by you know, and it's four bucks, but at the same time, it's like who's like who who the fuck wants to be like? Come on, you know, like that's a coffee. I'm good, <laughs> you know. So so it's it's easy to to miss those people too. Um, but I just uh, and I'm not knocking anyone that does do it. I just think that it's uh, the way that you get around that is by just getting some sponsors. So shout out to Mothership. We will never. Mean two heads will never be have a Patreon. No, we'll never have a Patreon, man. I don't, I, and I just don't think that it's, I think that it's like a, you're, hi, you're hiding behind that paywall and it sort of excludes people. So we can get, we can get sponsors. We can get guys that are willing to, to give us love. So yeah, motherships, the, the shit that we're doing for legends with mothership and pipeline is pretty fucking cool. Actually, there's like some free t-shirts and some other stuff like giveaways and some collabs. So. Kaya, did you leave your ship at the ship when you were there for Scott to engrave? I did. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Which it? one did you get? Oh, you yeah. Hold on. Give me, give me just a sec. I'll run, I'll run downstairs and grab it. Oh, it's, it's like, which a, one is it? It's an old piece. 
um i can't even remember like a very it's an older piece but he and it's got the like pacific northwest roots or pacific northwest theme to it but he's gonna he like engraved he showed scott and i was like scott would you put something in there for kaya and he was like yeah i'll do that oh shit <laughs> i can't wait yeah. i cannot wait to see yeah scott's the greatest oh scott ross yeah i'm stoked to have uh you know. The GZ one drop at Legends is going to be. Oh my God. So I'm great. fucking fired up. I'm trying to, I was trying to convince him to do because, uh, what is it? Fucking. The guys at, uh, Alchemy Jars. So they're, they're going to be, they're one of the sponsors, and Alchemy Jars has that glass insert. So I was telling, I was trying to convince Scott. I'm like, look, you and Rob, you should do. A bunch of inserts with the GZ1 inserts, and then you'll sell all the inserts. And I was like, I'll pay you for for the first one. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. Like, I'd love to have one of those for sure. That would be dope. so cool to have mm -hmm. a GZ1 mothership insert in the in the alchemy the jar. GZ1 mothership insert oh. in the fucking alchemy jar. That's that's be... five hundred dollars all day long. Yeah, that's like your dick in the mashed potatoes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's hey, the best way to describe it here's two ounces of hash inside of please a give fucking, it a heady fucking GZ1 mothership jar inside of this fucking thing. speaking of fucking heady is that Baron? yeah oh my goodness is that the Gary? Yeah, this is, uh, I think, yeah, this is Gary. This is Gary from Gary. Gary from Uncle Gary. <laughs> shout out, shout out, Gary. Shout, shout out, out to Uncle Gary. For sure. I can't wait to see him in London. Oh, so he, so then here's fucking Larry. There's Larry and Gary. And this is Larry. Who the heck is Larry? No. Ooh. Ooh. And the Larry is just... Larry looks like it's strong. I, some... uh, I think it's I think it's the Gelato 33 is the Larry. And they call it the Larry because of Larry Bird. Larry Bird, yeah, the 33 for sure, for sure. Yep. And it is fucking fire. It is fire. So this is kind of like a commercial right now. So we could just tell people, go to mothership.com is it mothershipglass.com is that what it is it is mothershipglass.com i we're just having some checking right now and oh. then um yeah sign up for the mailing list you get to see a beautiful beautiful email every couple of days with yep. you see where the drops are photography i i don't enjoy getting it every single time I'm like oh let's you look see, you see when the drops are and if you do it, um, you'll be the first to find out about the new NFT program, which if you get in on the NFT program, then you'll get invited to the 420 party. You'll get invited to the 710 barbecue. You can get invited to the new tie-dye parties. You get invited to all this different shit that Mothership's doing. And you come from anywhere in the country to do it. So that's <laughs> going to be coming out, which is kind of fucking cool. So, yeah. Anyway, Mothership. <laughs> Sorry, I had to sneak a dab in. You're loud, bro. Ooh, sneaky. 
Oh, nice. Got the banded roots. Let's see. So, uh, my buddy was working with Mothership years ago, and he calls me one day, and it was actually the chef, the guy who was like my first, my first link up in Bellingham. Mm-hmm. And, man, we're up here at Mothership, and they got these. They got this series of rigs, man. You you gotta have one, right? Uh, and it's like a Native American inspired design stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I just had my first kid, and I'm like, bro, I can't drop five grand on a fucking rig. <clears throat> so like two years later, I get a phone call, and it's this kid from Seattle, and he's like, hey man, the chef said you might be interested in selling this piece. Um, I'm like, man, I don't think I can buy it. And he's like, well. I'll trade you. And at the time I'm sitting on like two pounds of hash. Fuck yeah. I'll give you an ounce. So I gave him an ounce of hash. You can see all yeah, the right. design work on it. Yeah. It's salmon, salmon jumping up the thing. Yep. And then on the front, it says mothership. And then what I had him do was I had him etch on the back Pacific Northwest roots. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that is old uh, OFZ lid. That. Yeah. And then you'd pop old it on school. like that. Yeah, you'd, you'd actually set this sideways, like yay. Mm-hmm. And then you'd you'd have it hot, and you'd take your dab in, and then you'd pop this off, Whoop. right on there. And rip your old dab. school minis. Those are nice. Yeah, yeah, and it's got the cool. I have like five different ones of these. All the different. This is the uh, rose gold. The dials, yeah. And crazy enough, I don't know if you guys know Josh Scolari. Scolari Glass. Glass, yeah. yeah. Fucking mental. Turns out the guy's my neighbor. Literally lives oh, shit. a mile up the street. So I'm always over there trading hash. And um, one day I'm like, bro, make me, because this one is like. Yeah, he I does mean, He does all the plaid, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Burberry and shit. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, bro, can you make me a timer, a hash timer for my deal? And I'm like, can you put hash in it? And he's like, uh, I don't know if like hash will work. It'll melt. And I'm like, can you use some no belt Nebraska? And he's like, no, nah, let me just sand. So it took him two, took him a week. He said he made two and broke the first one. He said, never do it again. It's got this really dope like timing thing on it. Wow. Isn't that That's beautiful? That's very That's nice. nice. So maybe I'll, I'll bring this down to uh, Legends, Legends out on the Turp trike. Oh, yeah. Okay. I like it. I like yeah, but I was, I was really stoked because uh, – Brandon was like, man, you should, you should leave that piece here and, and have him engrave it. And I'm like, really? You guys? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I dropped off. I gave him a, a bunch of swag and some hash and, um, and they yeah. knocked it out. And then he actually delivered the hash tech down to us, Brandon. Oh, cool. Yeah. So when he drove down, he brought me the rig and, um, yeah. Was nice. very- yeah. Hashtags, hashtags got some great stuff, man. That's a good team of people. Oh man, I'm I'm very excited, Kai. I'm excited to see you at Legends. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Like, how can uh, like what do you what are you looking forward to? Like, other than Legends, you know, what's what are you working on for Pacific Northwest Roots right now? Man, I'm I'm actually super stoked. We're we're about to turn a production room of the Kraken Kush. Um, so last year we did 1.1 million in hash sales in the rec market. Um, Fuck yeah. Well, the first year, this, that was our third year. So the first year, we, it was like 150K. Um, we had 200 amps of service. It's like having a house. Um, and then we doubled it. And then last year, we hit 1.1. We're going we're gonna to be over a million this year. Um, so that's really, really fucking cool for, you know, a dude like me. Uh, 
and and so I'm super excited for this this Kraken uh, Kush to come back, and uh, our out our outdoor just absolutely crushed it this year, um, pushing all that through. I think we're planning a little uh, trip to New York. Are we not, Jameson, for for New Year's? Maybe we'll start off 2023 in the Big Apple or something. We absolutely are. <clears throat> Bring us to the West Coast. Leading a panel at Melting of the Heads. So yeah, so that that's got me pretty excited. I mean, I, I don't have much planned beyond that. Um, you know, I'm I got I got four babies. Uh, my my son, my littlest one, just just made one in August. Um, cool. So I. I really like to uh, spend as much like every waking hour when I'm not working or doing whatever I'm helping out with the softball team or coaching their little league or, you know, taking my, my little one on walks every day. You know, like you go to the beach, I put my little baby in the thing, we walk up the street a mile or two. Um, it's, it's really important to have those, those routines and those, those connections with your people. Um, you know, that, that's, that's really what gets me excited. My family may be moving taking over the old family estate. So that's cool because that'll be an opportunity to kind of expand my, my breeding program, um, and put up some new buildings on the property because it's, it's, it's vast. It's like 14 acres. So I can, I can do some new cool stuff over there. Uh, yeah, you can get our seeds still at, at the seed bank. Seeds here now, Neptune Seed Bank, um, <clears throat> Goose Seed Bank in Canada, Attic 369 in Paris, France, the Green Affiliates in South Africa. Um, you can link me direct at the uh, nw47 at gmail.com and uh, check out a menu. And uh, at Legends. At Legends. Yeah, no, I'm going to be at Legends. I'm bringing the Terp trike. We're going to have hash. You said there's a seed drop. I, I have not been down there in, in years. Uh, I are think you, actually last time I was in LA was for the last chalice. So it's it's been a minute. Are so you, you're, you're, you're doing a seed drop, though, at yeah. Legends, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be doing, we'll be doing the Kraken's uh, seed drop. And um, in my last years that I haven't, I haven't dropped yet. It's a whole bunch of, uh, we're calling it OMG. I think we're going to call it OMG. It's, it's, it's coffee times GMO. And um, I've, I've got some other, some other stuff that, you know, nobody's seen yet and uh, we'll have it there. So that's that's I'm excited to get my hands, my hands dirty on some food. Just oh, that, that kind of stuff. Oh, it's, and the food. We went and did the tasting all yeah. in one day. We did the brunch tasting first, and then we did the dinner tasting after. Fucking fire. <laughs> so just such good food, man. I can't wait. So it's, yeah, it's coming together, man. It's definitely, uh, there's some surprises. There's some cool ass stuff. Like the whole thing about the, you know, taking the seed breeders and making sure that they had more of a, you know, a nice big lounge area to kind of chill in and then like area right close by where the two booths are where, where you can go in and talk to, you know, two seed breeders in each one. It's like a nice, it's a little better setup. So yeah, I think so. we're glad. It'd be fun. I would love to, I'm just going to plant a seed, planting a seed, you know me. Um, but I think it would be really neat to take, you know, I always thought when I got into this, it would open doors where I could do some kind of world tour and take my kids with me and they could go to all these different countries. I mean, people have been growing my seeds literally on every continent. Um, but I think it'd be really neat, especially like, you know, the North African stuff, um, you know, take a, take a trip and go see these places and go connect with people. And, you know, maybe we make a movie out of it, um, bring, bring the kids along and, and just kind of have this whole experience. And, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I'm planting the seed. Oh, put it out there. You put it out in the universe. Put it bro. in the universe, bro. Put it out <laughs> That's there. how it works, bro. Okay. For anybody listening. I love, I love to travel. 
Yeah, we're going. We're going. It'll be me and Addison and Kaya and his family. <laughs> we'll go around the world. Smoking Come on, man. Uncle. Yes, Uncle Jameson. <laughs> Kaya, Uncle I appreciate Daddy. you on, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah, it, brother. Having me on. I look forward to seeing you guys down in uh, sunny California. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll talk to you soon.